there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. If you've been sticking with the podcast for a while, or even since the summer, you know I've been doing some summer movies. Well, guess what? We are in the final week of August, and I thought, you know what? What's a good summer movie that I most likely watch on a yearly basis right around this time? One of my favorites, Stephen King's Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. Even though Stephen King wrote the novella The Body, which became Stand By Me when Rob Reiner directed it. But I love this movie. It has so much heart. Guys, it gets you in the feels. It's got a, an amazing star, star-studded cast. Not to mention, guess what the rating is on IMDb? 8.1 out of 10. Wow. All right, I want to go into the synopsis, then we'll go into the cast list. So this is pretty short and sweet. After the death of one of his friends, a writer recounts a boyhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. All right, cast list. We have Will Wheaton playing Gordy Lachance, the late River Phoenix playing Chris Chambers, Corey Feldman of the two Corys playing Teddy Duchamp, Jerry O'Connell playing Vern Tessio in an almost unrecognizable as of today role. I mean, yeah, this movie came out in 86. So, all right, Kiefer Sutherland as Ace Merrill. Also, another familiar face you're going to see, Frances Lee McCain. She plays Gordy's mom. And this woman is familiar. Want to know how many moms she's played? A lot of them in the 80s movies. It's almost to the point where this woman, you needed a mom for an 80s movie. This lady here was your lady. Uh, She played Lorraine's mom in Back to the Future. She was Billy's mom in Gremlins. She played Kevin Bacon's mom in Footloose. This lady, she's doing it. Oh my goodness, she is doing it all. She's even got an upcoming project called Home Movies, and she plays, you guessed it, mom. Someone's mom. So, Stand By Me was actually, before that, a novella and a three-part... Do you want to call would it be considered an anthology? Because it's a short story. It's a novella. Um, in the book, Different Seasons, which also covers Apt Pupil and The Shawshank Redemption, which I have never read those two, but I do remember reading The Body when I was maybe 13. And this would have been after I'd seen the movie. So there are definitely some scenes that aren't in the movie. There's also a little bit of a change-up, which I think that might be in this trivia section, so I can get to that. Rob Reiner, who played on um, Meathead in All in the Family. This guy's directed a... Whoops, that's the actor portion. No, we want director. Okay, let's go back. Let's see some of the stuff that he's done. This is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing. Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, North, The American President, Ghosts of Mississippi, a TV movie called I Am Your Child, Spinal Tap, The Final Tour, Story of Us, Alex and Emma, I tried to watch it, I couldn't get into it, Rumor Has It, The Bucket List, 
Flipped, which I saw that movie was a cute movie. And so it goes. Something called Being Charlie. LBJ. Shock and Awe, which I don't... That was actually in 2017. So he hasn't done anything since then. So the movie did win some awards. Most performed song from a film for the song Stand By Me, Ben E. King. Heartland Film 1986 Truly Moving Picture Award winner Rob Reiner. National Board of Review, also a winner, top 10 films. Jackie Coogan Award, also winner Will Phoenix River. <laughs> Will Phoenix. Will Wheaton River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Gary O'Connell. And this movie also has some really good songs for the time period, but the score is what gets you. It's so hauntingly beautiful no real words can describe this it is just absolutely all right let's let's get into the trivia here the pond the boys fell into was a man-made pool because the crew wanted them to be safe and secure and did not want to put them in a real pond because they did not know what would be in it well that's true right however Corey Feldman started, stated in an interview that the joke of the whole thing was that they built and filled it with water in the beginning of June, and by the time they got to film the scene, it was the end of August. So it had been out in the woods for three months, and they did not know what was in it anyway. Ooh, gross. After director Rob Reiner screened the movie for Stephen King, he noticed that King was visibly shaking and wasn't speaking. He left the room and upon his return told Reiner that the movie was the best adaption of his work he had ever seen. That is a compliment because how many times has Stephen King actually probably said that? I don't think many. Kiefer Sutherland claimed in an interview that in one of the locations of the film, a renaissance fair was being held and the cast and crew attended and bought some cookies. Unfortunately, the cookies turned out to be pot cookies, and two hours later, the crew found Jerry O'Connell crying and high on the cookies somewhere in the park. Yikes. In the campfire scene in which Chris breaks down, Rob... Reiner was sure River Phoenix could do better. He asked him to think of a time in his life when an adult had let him down and use it in the scene, which Phoenix did. Upset and crying, he had to be comforted by the director afterwards. The result of Phoenix's exercise is the scene that ended up in the final cut. Wow. Yeah, he really brings it. He definitely does. River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Will Wheaton, and Jerry O'Connell got up to too much mischief in the hotel they were staying in during the film. This included throwing all the poolside furniture into the pool, Wheaton fixing video games in the lobby so they could play for free, and Phoenix, spurred on by the other boys, unknowingly covered Kiefer Sutherland's car in mud, only discovering whose car it was when Sutherland confronted a scared and nervous Phoenix about it later. In an interview by Stephen King in the special feature section of the DVD, he reveals that the scene with the leeches, which is straight from his novella, actually did happen to him when he was a child. Ew! Corey Feldman has stated in several interviews that all the characters he... Out of all the characters that he's played, Teddy was actually the closest to his personality and personal life at the time. Now, if you read some of Stephen King's works, honestly, the only one I've read other than the, the body no novella 
as Cujo, which I'm going to hopefully get to reviewing that movie and my history with that movie in October. But quite a few of Stephen King's novels are set around Castle Rock, Maine, so... As with most of, Stephen, most of Stephen King's stories, this one originally contained connections to other books he has written. Ace Merrill later reappeared in the book Needful Things, 1993. Although he does not appear in the film, the dog Chomper is compared to Cujo, and that came out in 1983. Characters are familiar with Shawshank Prison from the Shawshank Redemption. Teddy Duchamp was actually first mentioned in King's first book, Carrie, in which Carrie destroys a gas station he once worked at. Ah. To keep in character while off camera, Kiefer Sutherland often picked on Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell. While practicing his lines, Jerry O'Connell was impressed that as an 11-year-old, he was being allowed to swear. At the insistence of director Rob Reiner, an avid non-smoker who campaigned for anti-smoking laws in California, the cigarettes smoked by the boys were made from cabbage leaves. Okay, this is about the train scene. In the shot where Gordy and Verna running towards the camera with the train right behind them, the train was actually at the far end of the trestle with the two actors on the opposite end. The crew used a 600mm long focus lens that, when shot at the telephoto end, compressed the image so much that it made it look like the train was right behind them. While filming the scene in which Ace Merrill takes Gordy's brother's Yankees cap, Kiefer Sutherland's first instinct was to put it on. Rather than hand it to Eyeball Chambers, Rob Reiner told Sutherland not to put the hat on as a way of showing that Ace was stealing it just to be cruel to Gordy, and not because the hat itself was at all important to Ace. Sutherland and Will Wheaton both confirm in the DVD's behind-the-scenes commentary that the reason that Gordy never gets the hat back from Ace is that Ace threw it away immediately after stealing it from Gordy. Well, of course he did. In the scene where Gordy and Chris race each other through the junkyard, Will Wheaton could run faster than River Phoenix, but Wheaton's character was supposed to lose. Wheaton had to fake a fast run when slowing down so that Phoenix's character would win. Really? Corey Feldman and director Rob Reiner tested 30 different laughs before deciding upon one for Teddy Duchamp. The laugh happened to be similar to that described in Stephen King's story. Rob Reiner agonized over the pie-eating scene because he was having trouble trying to envision what kind of writer Gordy would become and how that would play out as a 12-year-old. Ultimately, in my mind, he became Stephen King, Reiner said, and Stephen King is a great storyteller, and most of the stories he tells are supernatural or there's horror involved. He decided to go over the top with it and make it rather cartoonish, the way it would appear in a young boy's mind. According to Reiner, the audience went crazy for it, justifying his his decision to leave it in. Alright, so, um, there's still quite a bit to go of this, I, I, of the trivia. I'm just either gonna save it for the very end when I'm done with the movie, or I'm just gonna pick and choose, you know, after I'm done with it to what won't, because there, guys, there's a lot. And I think I'm also gonna definitely save the goofs, because it's already running on, like, ten minutes, and I kind of want to get to the movie. Oh, here we go, here's the tagline real quick. For some, it's the last real taste of innocence, and the first real taste of life. But for everyone, it's the time that memories are made of. And as I said in other 
podcast episodes about me doing Stand By Me. I do have the different seasons novella. I am going to um, relate to it here and there and kind of read a, you know, a passage here or there, a couple lines, just to show the difference, like if there's a scene that wasn't in the movie or maybe getting a little bit deeper into the head of whichever character, depending on the scene or situation. So whether or not I really would love for this just to be a just full movie review, just not break it into two pieces, but I've really been struggling with that. Um, I just really get so into the movie and stuff that it's like, I want to describe everything. but it's, And it's almost like, if you think about it, <laughs> you probably could shut your eyes and just picture the movie as I'm watching it explaining the whole thing. So, without further ado, let's jump into this movie because I am ready. This is my sign-off for summer. This is my saying goodbye to summer movie. And I believe I'm actually going to release this, I think, on Sunday, September 1st because when the boys get back... It's pretty much Labor Day, or I might just wait until Labor Day and then release it, so I haven't decided yet, so, because currently it's Monday, August 26th, and usually it takes me a few days to wrap up a movie review, because they get pretty long. I mean, I love movie reviews that are like an hour and a half and stuff like that, but guys, you, if you know me, you listen to me for a while now, you know my movie reviews are pretty exciting extensive so and that's what I love about it that's what I love about doing this I love just experiencing the movie explaining it commentating on it having fun with it so in that way I hope that you guys are getting enjoyment out of it too so all right guys let's do this bye bye summer I'll miss you I'll see you in 2020 I know it's not officially summer is not over yet but all right I talked enough I'm ready Let's do this. Finally. So, the film opens on a dirt road in the country. It looks like it could be anywhere from like 9, 10 a.m. We have adult Gordy, who we don't know at the time because we don't know who this guy is. Just kind of sitting in his truck, which kind of looks more like a off-road jeep. But he's just kind of sitting there contemplating, and we do see the newspaper that says, Attorney Chris Chambers. Attorney Chris Chambers fatally stabbed in restaurant. This paper is the Oregonian, is this Oregonian? Wednesday, September 4, 1985. So I can read a little bit of the headline here. Late yesterday, while standing in line at a local restaurant, attorney attorney Chris Chambers found himself attempting to break up a heated argument between two men shown two men ahead of him. And I can't, shown to the fact that something menaced from something about peace. And then there's something that looks like I don't even know what it would have to do with the article. It said residents feel that they have been taken advantage of ever since the tax laws governing their additional something, holdings, blah, 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 blah. I mean, even though you see the headline, you probably don't know. Like, I didn't know probably when I first saw this, like, who Chris Chambers was. We didn't even know who this guy is yet, but. Down this dirt road, we got two boys on bikes. Just riding along. One of them's got a, a backpack and 
That gets Gordy's mind kind of reminiscing about him and his friends. So from here we get the narration by Richard Dreyfus, who I guess uh, Rob Reiner did kind of struggle with who he wanted to portray as the writer. Finally, he did end up settling on Richard Dreyfus, who was an old classmate of his. So that works out. Or an old friend of his. So, yeah. It's just, I honestly don't know who else could have done the narration so amazing. Just something about Richard Dreyfus's voice is just so, it's, it's calm and, and soothing. And he just, very impactful. So I'm going to play this first clip of him saying, I was 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959. A long time ago, but only if you measure in terms of years. I was 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959 time ago but only if you measure in terms of years so now we're going to get sucked into 1959 how many years is that but i'm gonna let me see so it's been 26 years but i added 12 on because that's how he said he was like 12 going on 13 in 1959 so currently gordy in the beginning of the movie is 38 so Gordy is in a shop and he's looking at all these different magazines. We have true police cases, we have thriller, we have a bunch of different things. Kiss of Death Gun Girl, Trapping Illinois Rape and Rob Mad Dog Killer, Secret Life and Loves of the Professor Secretary Dead and Shipboard Mystery. Okay, so that's the true police cases. So that's the one he picks up. Of course, you know, with him being a writer and everything, he's going to probably want, you know, stuff that he can sink his teeth into. And you know, maybe that, that's what he's about. He likes those kind of true crime stories. And apparently it only costs 25 cents. I remember when I got a teen magazine, um, when I started getting those back in like 95, 96. I think it was 95. They were like 3.50 or 3.99. They I might have been 3.50 and then they went up to 3.99 later. Magazines are so expensive. But then again, I don't really think... They still have a lot of magazines in circulation, but probably not nearly as many as they had, like, 20 years ago. So Gordy walks out of the store and kind of tells us that he lives in Castle Rock, Oregon. And I'm not sure... I know there is something about... Because Stephen King's books, a lot of them do take place in Castle Rock, Maine. Not Castle Rock, Oregon. So maybe... And in the book, I believe it, it's also... Maybe it's Oregon? Oops. And 1,281 people live in that small Castle Rock town. And Gordy says, but to me, it was the whole world. So Gordy takes his magazine with him to the treehouse. And apparently, it's probably like maybe what, 8, 9 a.m.? It's 90 freaking degrees out. Oh my good golly. Here, uh, Bob Cormier, who's the DJ over in Portland, playing Rockin' Robin. This this movie, like I said, the score is beautiful. The music of the time is really beautiful, too. Alright, from here, Gordy enters the treehouse, and we meet the rest of the gang. Well, two of them. We have 
Chris Chambers. He's a pretty tough guy. He's got his cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. My dad would do that. He'd always wear like a white shirt and he'd think he's all that in a bag of chips because he'd have his cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. Uh, Chris is smoking a cig. He's playing cards with Teddy. Teddy, of course, is played by, like I said, one of the Corys, Corey Feldman. Of course, Chris has got to do the French jokes, which, of course, Teddy says, Hey, look, I'm French, okay? I don't want to hear those jokes. As Chris like, how do you know a Frenchman's been in your backyard? Your garbage cans are empty and your dog's pregnant. <laughs> and Chris, or, uh, Teddy's like, didn't I just say it was French? What the hell? I'm not sure what the card game is that they're playing. Chris has 29 and Teddy's got 22. And Gordy throws his cards down in frustration and says, piss up a rope. Is that a... T I've never heard of that in my life. And I know this is supposed to be 1959, but seriously. I mm. So I'm guessing this term, as weird as it sounds, mean could mean either get lost or get out of here. There's actually a band called Ween that this is their song, Piss Up a Rope. So, Gordy's pretty much out. He's going to hang out in that hammock and flip through his magazine. And he kind of gives us an insight to his two friends here. Says, Teddy Champ was the craziest guy we hung around with. And he says that Teddy's, Teddy was not given much of a chance in life and that his dad was given to fits of rage. And he even, at one point, held Teddy's ear to a stove and almost burnt it off. Like, oh my god. I think in the book, his Teddy's dad does it to both his ears. Alright, so as far as Chris goes, he was the leader of their little uh, four-person troop there and Gordy's best friend. He also came from a bad family and everyone just knew that he'd turn out bad, including Chris. So, yeah, basically their family is the talk of the town. They're basically what they would probably call white trash. And Chris figures he's going to end up no different than them. Of course, we get a knock on the treehouse door. Gordy's like, that's not the secret knock. I forget the secret knock. Let me in. And Chris, Gordy, and Teddy all look at each other like, burn. Just let him in. Or he's going to keep going with this all day. So Vern gets up there and he is just bursting with news. Like, oh my gosh, you guys, you are not going to believe this. This is totally boss. Wait till I tell you. Apparently he ran there because like, huh, huh, let me catch my breath. I ran all the way home. And of course the guys break into song of, I ran all the way home. <laughs> and he, he's like, forget it. I'm not telling you anything. Guys, stop singing. So Vern's like, forget it. I don't have to tell you anything. I'm like, all right, man, just tell us your story. What's up? And Vern starts again. I ran all the way from my house. Like, uh, the guy's breaking the song again. He's like, ah, guys, stop. So Vern's like, all right, so here's the deal. Can you guys camp out tonight? Like, in my backyard and everything like that? So Vern gets everyone to swear fidelity to camping out in his backfield before he actually reveals the news. And Teddy's like, dude, will you just tell us what's up? And stop leaving us hanging like this, in other words? So I want to play this clip about Vern revealing his big old juicy juicy secret that made him run all the way from his house. I knock. You guys want to go see a dead body? 
So, Gordy turns off the radio, and adult Gordy starts narrating how they all kind of understood what Vern was saying, because at the beginning of the school year, Vern had drew a treasure map of where he had a quart jar of pennies, which, a quart jar? I'm trying to think how much that would even be, and how many pennies would be in that, but... And not to mention, it's 1959, right? So those are going to be worth a lot more. Although it sucks to be Vern because his mom cleaned his room and threw off the fucking map. Like, shit! So he's under the porch, digging holes, trying to find this map. You want to know how long he's been trying to find that map? Or those pennies, excuse me? Nine fucking months. An entire school year trying to find that damn map, uh, those pennies. Why do I keep saying map? And there's so much space in between these beams that are holding up the porch. It's like, you couldn't have, like, hit it somewhere close to, like, the entrance, somewhere that, like, I mean, one of those beams would be if you hit it there, but there's so many of them, you'd have to think, now, which beam did I put it at? But he's got, like, at least, like, 15 to 20 holes dug with, he's using a little spade, because there's not a lot of space under this porch. Like, there's maybe 6 inches or 12 inches of space between the bottom of that porch and the top of Vern's head. So we got Vern's older brother, Billy, and the blonde-haired guy. What the heck's his name? Is it Charlie Hogan? And the blonde-haired guy is like, look, Billy, we gotta do something. And Billy's like, why? Who cares? And Charlie's like, yeah, but it's that kid. You know the one they're talking about on the radio? Brocker or Brower or Flowers or whatever his name is. And she... Charlie's like, hey, we found him. Like, so what? The kid's dead. It doesn't mean anything to us or to him because, well, he's dead. He doesn't care. So it's like, who gives a shit if they ever find him? I don't. So, Gordy tells us that the kids had all followed the Ray Brower story very closely because he was a kid around their age, probably about 12, 15, 16, I don't know. This kid, when we see him, though, I'll reveal that. That is the... They couldn't get a dummy in there that looked remotely between the ages of 12 and 16. Really? Because it looked like a 40-something-year-old man. And that was no kid. So, three days before, Ray Brower had gone out to pick blueberries. And nobody had seen him since. How fucking far did he go? I mean, we see the journey that the kids take, and that's like a day and a half or more. Why would you go way the fuck out to the woods to go pick some damn blueberries? Buy them in a store. Buy them at a fruit stand. You know you buy them at a fruit stand. You know they're gonna maybe be good. They come from, I mean, I don't know. I don't buy fruit, but still. So the whole time that... Charlie and Billy, if that is Charlie the blonde-haired kid. Vern's under the porch and he's watching through this hole underneath. And 
Charlie's, like, pissing his pants, really worried. Like, I think we should tell the cops. Billy says, no, look, we stole a car. Or says, boosted a car, which is steal, stolen. You don't do that. You don't call the cops after you've stolen a car. Basically, they're going to trace the call. I've seen it on Dragnet. I know how this shit goes down. And trust me, I ain't going to jail. Don't worry about it. Pretend we saw nothing, you say nothing, you know nothing. You got me? Thank you. So now they go back to the treehouse, and Teddy's like, Hey, I know the back Harlow Road. It comes to a dead end by the Royal River. Me and my dad used to fish for... He and his dad used to fish for cossies? I don't know what those are. Some type of fish. And he says the train tracks are, like, right there. Of course, Chris has got to be like, hey, Vern, if they knew that you were under there, they would have fucking killed your ass. Like, no shit, dude. I'm sure he knows that. Thanks for reminding him. And Gordy's kind of wondering, like, really, man? I mean, could he have gotten all the way from Chamberlain to Harlow? I mean, that's pretty damn far. Of course, Chris is like, yeah, I mean, he must have just started walking on the train tracks and just took it the whole way there. It's, it can be done. It's possible. So if that's the case, then Ray Brower took that trestle just like those boys did. So he must have, uh, read the train schedule, huh? <laughs> and Teddy's like, yeah, I mean, and then the train must have came along after it got dark and boom, El Smacko. It's like, guys, this is a person who died, who got hit by a fucking train. It might be hard to see a train in the dark, but don't they got a big damn light on the front of it? And you're gonna hear the fucking thing, right? Unless, uh, well, wait a minute. No, that doesn't make any sense. Because he was in the damn woods, and that threw his body. It's not like he was on that train trestle, and the, he had nowhere to go when the train hit his ass. I don't fucking know. So Chris is the one like, hey, if we find this guy... We could be, we could get our names in the paper, we could get our pictures in the paper, and Teddy's like, yeah, we could even be on TV, which is probably the biggest damn thing in 1959 to be on TV or get your name in print. Yes. So yeah, Chris and Teddy are excited about it. Like, hey man, we could be heroes. Of course, Vern's like, oh man, I don't know, Billy will know where I found out. It's like, who gives a fine fuck? You're gonna be famous. That guy can go eat shit. Come on, Vern. Seriously. I mean, you brought this whole thing up to them to begin with. Now you're pussing out? Come on. Where's your sense of adventure? Okay, so it is Charlie Hogan. Because Gordy's like, hey, look, he's not gonna care because it's gonna be us guys that find him, not Billy and Charlie Hogan, in a boosted car. Isn't it funny the lingo they had back in the 50s? Boosted. Boss. Uh, I can't think of any more. I'll, I'll, I'll hear more and I'll bring it up. Gordy gets Vern in the, hey, they'll probably pin a medal on you, Vern. Come on, what do you think about that? And Vern's like, oh, yeah, you think? So Vern's like, hey, what are we going to tell our folks? Gordy's like, yeah, exactly what you told us, we're going to tell them we're all camping in your backfield. You're going to tell your folks you're sleeping over at Teddy's. And we are, then we'll say, hey, we're going to the drag races the next day, right? We are rock solid till dinner. Do not worry. This is a solid plan. Nothing can go wrong. 
So Vern is just like worried about people finding out his ass getting hided or spanked or hit or whatever. And Teddy's like, man, no one's going to give a shit, man, because we're going to find this body. We are going to be famous. We are going to be heroes. We are going to get medals pinned on us. We're going to get our pictures in the paper. We're going to be on TV. It's going to be basically awesome to us, right? Right. All right. So Vern finally agrees to go. Chris and Teddy are like, yeah, sweet. We're going to do this. Gordy, of course, is like, you know, I really wish I could have shared my friend's enthusiasm. Unfortunately, that summer I had become the invisible, the, the invisible boy. So this is where we learn about his older brother, Denny, who was killed in a car accident. So we're at Gordy's. He's yelling out his window, Mom! Do you know where my canteen is? Mom, can you hear me? Dad, what are you doing? Can you hear me? And they're just, she's like in a fucking daze. And of course, the da- she's folding laundry off the line. And the dad is like hoeing some vegetables in a makeshift garden that he made. Finally, he's like, it's in Denny's room. I'm like, oh shit. Probably the room that none of them go in. And the door is always closed, of course. How long ago had that happened? He said during that summer he had become the invisible boy. His mom just looks dead inside. Which is understandable. She just lo- she lost her son and everything. And it seems like Denny was that golden child who could do no wrong. And they put all their hopes and dreams. You know, he's the firstborn. He's going to be going to college and he's going places. And now they're left with their uh, probably didn't pull out in time son. Because there's a bit of an age difference. There's probably at least four years or so between Denny and Gordy. Okay, so we do learn it was in April that his older brother Dennis had been killed in a Jeep accident. Gotcha. Okay, so this is August because they say that they're going just before Labor Day. And it's been four months. And he says, my parents still haven't been able to put the piece... Four months! That's fresh, guys. This Sunday will be six months since my dad passed away. And let me tell you, it is still a struggle. It still is really, really hard. But, you know, there's a difference between losing a parent and losing a child of which you birthed through your own body. Not saying that one is, you know, less important than the other, but... That's still pretty damn fresh, kid. It's gonna take a while. That's how you don't just get over. So, Gordy goes into Denny's room, and right away we see a pennant that says Castle Rock High School. We see a 5x7 or 8x10 of... And his brother, Denny, is played by John Cusack. But there's a picture of him in a football uniform. We got medals of him playing football, basketball... I think that might be baseball. I'm not sure. A couple other trophies for other things. So this guy definitely was... He was the athlete. He was the... Uh, and we got Gordy, who's basically uh, the storyteller. We do also get a pennant here from Michigan State University. So it looks like maybe that's where he was going to go to college. 
He's also got uh, some pictures of some singers. Maybe one might be Buddy Holly, a guy with the glasses that might be Buddy Holly. I'm not sure. He's also one of a baseball player. I think it says New York, maybe. There's a girl here named Jane that he's got a picture of himself with, an 8x10. Looks like they went to prom together. Aww. Denny, uh, John Cusack was such a cutie patootie back in the day. Granted, he's probably at least six to ten years older than I am, but still. So Gordy pulls the canteen out of the closet, and now we're getting a flashback of probably one of the last times that Gordy and Denny ever spoke. There is one other scene after this with Denny. At the dinner table, or like, I think it's the dinner table, but he's got a cap for Gordy, his old Yankees cap, and he gives it to Gordy. And Gordy's like, Well, why are you giving me this? This is your old Yankee cap. And he's like, Oh, no, 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 this is your Yankee cap. I'm giving it to you. He says, It's always brought me luck, and now I'm giving it to you. This is just, even though it's a, a short little scene, we do get to see the love between. Gordy and his older brother like he idolizes this guy and I'm not surprised because this guy is like I said he's a golden child this Denny he was going places he had his life all planned out you know did no wrong and then he was killed in the accident so Gordy's dad comes in and kind of spoils that memory that Gordy has of his brother. He's like, oh, you found the canteen. Great. So can we get out of this room? Let me shut the door. And now he starts ragging on Gordy for his friends. Like, why can't you have friends like Denny's? And Gordy's like, look, Dad, I, my friends are all right, right? They're fine. They're cool. And, of course, his dad is like, well, no. Yeah, he's like, why can't you have friends like Denny's? And Gordy's like, Dad, they're okay. He's like, yeah, sure they are. A thief and two feebs. So feeb means what? Feeble-minded? Basically stupid? I'm like, Dad, gee, I liked it better when you didn't talk to me. Can we go back to that? What a dick. And Gordy's like, well, Chris isn't a thief. And his dad's like, well, he stole the milk money at school. Because mind you, the kids are still in grammar school. They're still... Grammar school, I guess you would call it elementary. They haven't moved yet to junior high. That's what they're going to be doing in the fall in a, a few days. Not only is this the summer of innocence lost, it's also the summer of them eventually moving forward and slowly starting to find their own paths and drift away from each other. It's like one last adventure to kind of hold this semi-tight-knit group together before we all move forward in our lives and drift away from each other. So his dad's like, well, he's a, uh, he stole the milk money at school. That's a thief in my book, basically. And he just walks away like, fuck you, asshole. So Gordy starts walking down the sidewalk. And, of course, we get the narration where he says it was almost noon by the time he, they decided to set out to find the body of a dead kid named Ray Brower. Noon? Really? You didn't want to start at maybe like 10? Not that that meant you were going to get there any faster, but... Granted, it's summer too, so you know that the, sunlight's gonna, the sun's going to stay out a bit longer. 
Chris, of course, got uh, hitched a ride with, actually, it turns out the people in the, the cab of the truck were a friend of River Phoenix's and River Phoenix's mother. So that's pretty cool. Can't do that bullshit nowadays, right? You can't hitch no ride. It's not safe out there. One time, I remember my dad did pick up somebody and just drop them off. I remember, I think, being freaked out the whole time, too. Like, I heard stories about, you know, people picking up hitchhikers. I know how those stories end. Not good. So Chris gets dropped off, puts an arm around Gordy, like, hey, you want to see something? And Gordy's like, yeah, sure. And I love how in tune Chris is with Gordy's feelings. Like, hey, are you all right? And Gordy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm fine. So the boys duck behind um, a restaurant or a cafe, diner, whatever. And Chris pulls out a gun, a handgun. And he says, hey, you want to be the Lone Ranger or the Cisco Kid? And Gordy is like, fucking eh? Really? Wow. Like, <laughs> and he asks, he takes it from Chris and he's holding it, Gordy is, and he's kind of pointing it at something. He's like, hey, is this loaded? And Chris is like, no way, man. What do you think? I'm not saying gonna load it. Of course, Gordy pulls the trigger. Boom! Gun goes off. I'm like, holy shit! And they, like, get the fuck out of there. And the lady comes out like, oh my gosh, who's throwing, shooting off cherry bombs out here? Like, bitch, if you can't tell the difference between a gunshot and a cherry bomb, you need to rethink your life. Oh, I love how when they're running away, Chris is like, it's Gordy LaChance, he's shooting up Castle Rock. Like, oh my gosh, really? Oh, of course, Chris was laughing at Gordy's expense. Like, Haha, you should have seen your face. And Gordy's pissed off. He's like, hey, you knew it was loaded, you wet end. Like, now I'm going to get in trouble because that diner lady saw me. It's like, guys, you weren't even there. You were long gone by the time that lady stepped out of that diner. So you're in the clear. Don't worry. Even Chris is like, dude, she thought it was firecrackers, okay? I don't think you got anything to worry about. Gordy's like, I don't care. That was a mean trick. Of course... Chris was like, hey, Gordy, look, I'm sorry, all right? I didn't, I seriously didn't know it was loaded. So, he says, I swear I didn't know it was loaded. And Gordy is like, really, on your mother's name? He's like, oh, yes, on my mother's name. Gordy's like, even if she goes to hell because you lied? He's like, yes, even if she goes to hell because I lied. Oh, the pinky swear, pinky swear, Yes. Pinky swears right up there with the uh, the spit shake, right? The spit promise. And the boys are walking past the billiard hall, and who pops out but Chris's older brother, Eyeball Chambers, and Ace, played by Kiefer Sutherland. And Gordy's wearing his lucky cap, dude. But he didn't know that they were gonna run into Ace and Eyeball. And Ace right away, like, yanks it off Gordy's head like it's nothing. Gordy is defending, like, hey, man, that's my brother's hat. Give it to me. He's like, no, no, you're giving it to me, buddy. It's my hat now. And Chris is like, hey, you're a real asshole. And, yeah. Ace just looks at Chris like, hey, Eyeball, your brother's not too, uh, not too nice to me. I think I ought to teach him some respect. He grabs Chris, shoves him 
shoves his face in the sidewalk, basically, and puts a lit cigarette near his eyeball. Like, damn. It makes Chris take it back, what he said. Like, all right, I take it back, I take it back. You know, I kind of wonder if, let's say this whole hat thing played out differently. Let's just say, right? Ace takes a hat off of Gordy's head. Gordy's like, doesn't really make a fuss about it. Just plays it off like it's no big deal. How do you think that would have ended? Do you think the scenario would have been any different? Like, he takes the hat off, like, oh, whatever. And it's just, like, even if Gordy just, like, started just walking away. Yeah, no. I think keep, uh, Ace would have made a big fucking deal about it. Like, you better act like you want your hat back, you little shit. Oh, Ace hands off Gordy's hat to Eyeball who puts it on. Like, ew, I don't, I don't want it back now, thank you. And Gordy never got his hat back. I mean, Gordy's a, you know... Caver Sutherland and Will Wheaton, like, yeah, they just tossed it in the trash bin. So Gordy and Chris walk away, and they're doing the thing where they go and they kick each other in the butt cheek while they're walking. Luckily, Jeremy does not do that to me anymore. Like, we'd be walking in a parking lot, and he'd, like, kick me in the the butt. I'm like, seriously? Ugh. But no, he doesn't do that anymore. It's like, come on, man, you don't have to do that, you dork. So I'm just kind of looking here, and Gordy's mom is 55 years old. They had him late in the game. Wow. So if Gordy's like 11, 12 years old, right? So she had Gordy when she was 43. That is really late in the game there. All right, so now we got the railroad tracks here. We got the other boys, Teddy and Vern. And Vern's asking, why do we need a pistol for anyway? It's like, yeah, well, it's sleep- a spooky sleeping out in the woods at night. You're gonna want some protection. Because we do hear coyotes later on, so yeah. He says, hey, we might see a bear. Or he looks at, Go- Chris looks at Gordy and says, or a garbage can. And they all laugh. So I take it he told uh, Vern and Teddy about the whole thing with the gun and the trash can. Vern brought a comb, and Chris is like, what do we need a comb for? It's like, only one of us actually has hair that can actually- Well, two out of the four, because both Chris and Vern have buzz cuts, where Gordy and Teddy both have hair that you could easily run a comb through. So, they're at the start of the tracks. We see the little um, bridge overhead there. Or whatever that is above the tracks. <laughs> and they're kind of wondering, like, how far is this going to be? Chris is like, maybe 20 miles. Sound right to you, Gordy? Gordy's like, yeah, I bet even 30 miles even. Like, well, then get your asses moving. But it's late summer in Oregon. How hot? What was probably, what, maybe 80, 90 degrees at, like, 9 a.m.? And it's going to get even hotter. They got canteens of water. Great. We found out later. Well, no one brought any fucking food. Damn you. They really don't think about that. Vern brought a comb. Really? Well, you can't eat a comb, can you, Vern? So Vern's all like, you know, we could hitchhike. We'd go out to Route 7 to the Shiloh Church down the back Harlow Road. We'll be there by sundown. And, of course... 
Teddy nixes is that idea. Like, that's a pussy idea. That's stupid. Nobody, well, Chris Hitchens, but yeah, just, no, we're not doing that. We're walking. That's what this is. It's an adventure. So that's what we're going to do. Hitch is going to take all the fun out of it. I love Teddy's comment here to Vern. Did your mother ever have any kids that lived? And Vern's like, what do you mean? And Teddy's like, um, he just walks off like, what? Just, uh. It's a, the kids, the boys have barely gotten any miles under their feet. And already they're getting, I don't think they're getting hangry. I think it's the fact that they've started walking, put a smidge of distance between them and town. And already it's like, hey, oh, Teddy's the one that mentions that he's hungry. He says, hey, anyone got any food? And of course, like, uh, all of them stop like, oh, shit. I knew I forgot something. Vern's like, oh, I brought the comb. Well, you can't eat a comb, Vern. So, of course, they're like, hey, hey, hey. Chris and Gordy are like, guys, just chill out. Let's sit on the tracks. Let's see what we got in our pockets. Count it up. And basically go from there. Alright, they're sitting right on their tracks. So because, well, there ain't a train coming right now. We're good. Gordy's got a buck oh two. A dollar and two cents. 68 cents from Chris. 60 cents from Teddy. So that's a buck eight. And three. A buck two. Seven cents from Vern. Okay, thank you, Vern. Oh, boy. He's like, well, I haven't found my penny yet. Wait, but you don't get an allowance or anything? Nothing? Oh, my goodness. 237. That's not bad. That number, of course, does kind of come into play. It's a reference to the book The Shining, the room 237 that you're not supposed to, in the Shining Hotel, you're not supposed to go into. That Danny Torrance has warned, don't go in that room, don't look at that room, don't even think about that room, just avoid it at all costs. So, yeah. I like that little reference there. Quidditch Charlo's, I guess, is like one of those delis where you can pick up like lunch meat and shit like that. Chips and whatever the hell. So, um, yeah, it's at the end of the road that goes by the junkyard and they start joking about Chomper, the junkyard dog. At least they got their butts off the track because, oh, here comes a train. And, of course, Teddy, ever the train dodging fool, is like, I'm going to dodge this train. And, you know, Teddy wears glasses. His eyesight is basically for shit. So. And, and even the other boy's like, Teddy, get your ass off the track. You're going to get fucking killed. He's like, no, no, I'm going to dodge it. I'm going to pretend that my sleeping bag is a gun and all this stuff. Finally, Chris is like, he's like, I gotta, I gotta get my friend out of this situation. He's gonna get himself killed. He yanks, like, with the force of a lion or a gorilla, puts his arms around Teddy and yanks him off the tracks. You see the train going by and in between the cars you see Chris and Teddy fighting Vern and Gordy are trying to keep them apart. And, of course, Chris is like, I'm trying to keep you from killing yourself. Is that what you want to do? You want to kill yourself? You almost tried to kill yourself. And, of course, 
Chris was like, is that what you want? You want to kill yourself? And Teddy's answer to that is just, I don't need no babysitter. And I love Chris's response to that. It's like, do too. And I see this a lot. Well, out of all the boys, we got Vern with a collared shirt. We got Chris with a plain white tee. It's got dirt smudges all over it. We got Gordy with a red striped shirt. And then we got... Teddy with a classic olive green army tee. But the neck hole has either been like really stretched out because it really, the collar kind of just hangs just on the edge of his shoulder. And it's like, part of me just wants to go and like adjust it so that way the collar's like evenly positioned on either side of his neck. Maybe that's an OCD thing or whatever. I don't know, but that just drives me nuts. It's like, fix your shirt, buddy. So this is Chris's way of how he handles things. He doesn't want to leave bad blood, you know? He's like, hey, we had an argument. Puts his hand out, says, skin it. Teddy says, hey, I could have dodged it and starts to walk off. Chris is thinking, no, I don't want to leave it like this. Skin it. Take my hand so I know that we're cool. That everything is fine. There's no bad blood. And he's like, hey, look. You can dodge the train on our trip back, alright? You can do that if you want. But for now, we gotta say that we're both cool with each other. So we can keep going on this trip without this, you know, cloud hanging over us, basically. So, alongside the boys' story to make their way to see the body of Ray Brower. We have Ace, Eyeball, Billy, and Charlie. Their little side story of Billy and Charlie know about Ray Brower. Of course, Charlie's got cold feet. He wants to admit it. He wants to clear his conscience. He's feeling very guilty. Because the guys are playing mailbox baseball and you know, using a baseball bat for, uh, you know, destroying people's mailboxes. So, that's pretty much that. Charlie tries to say something. Billy, like, elbows him in the gut and says, Don't say anything. Shut up. Of course, Ace is kind of like, What's with you guys? You've been acting fucking weird all day. And they're like, Nah, it's nothing. Luckily, we move away from that. We get back to the boys. No trespassing. Keep out. They're at Milo Pressman's uh, junkyard. So they're going to hang out there for a little bit because it's so damn hot up. They got to take a break. So Gordy makes a joke when they're at the fence there getting ready to like hop over, jump over, climb over it. He says, hey, Vern, looks like your mom's been out driving again. And Vern looks at Gordy like, ha, 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 that's so funny not. So, is Gordy saying, like, Vern's mom is a drunk or something? I never got what the hell he was implying. Like, oh, looks like your mom's been- Oh, there's her car all smashed up. Like, really, Gordy? Come on. <laughs> but then again, they're 12-year-old boys. They're ragging on each other. That's just what guys do or did. So we get adult Gordy kind of letting us know that Chopper is the most feared and least seen dog in Castle Rock next to Cujo. Actually, I won't find that in the book here. Does mention, we do get a mention of Cujo. Alright, here we go. But these dogs never attacked Milo Pressman, the 
dump keeper because Milo was never without Chopper at his heel. Chopper was, at least until Joe Camber's dog Cujo went rabid 20 years later, which... Shit. Hold on. Damn it, the book fell. This book is just thick and awkward. It's supposed to be one of those, like, mass market paperbacks. Here, I'm gonna hold it with two hands instead of just trying to balance it between my fingers here. <laughs> um, let me read. Okay. <clears throat> Chopper was, at least, until Joe Camber's dog Cujo went rabid 20 years later. So if this book movie is set in 1959, that means that Cujo would have happened in... 1979-ish. The movie takes place in 1983. Anyway. <clears throat> the most feared and least seen dog in Castle Rock. He was the meanest dog for 40 miles around or so we heard. And ugly enough to stop a striking clock. The kids whispered legends about Chopper's meanness. Some said he was half German Shepherd. Some said he was mostly Boxer. And a kid from Castleview with the unfortunate name of Harry Hoare, claimed that Chopper was a Doberman pincher whose vocal cords had been surgically removed so you couldn't hear him when he was on the attack. There were other kids who claimed Chopper was a maniacal Irish wolfhound and Milo Pressman fed him a special mixture of Gaines meal and chicken blood. These same kids claimed that Milo didn't dare take Chopper out of his shack unless the dog was hooded like a hunting falcon. Good grapey schmeeky. The most common story was that Pressman had trained Chopper not just to sick, but to sick specific parts of the human anatomy. Thus, an, un an unfortunate kid who had illegally scaled the dump fence to pick up illicit treasures might hear Milo Pressman cry, Chopper, sick hand! And Chopper would grab that hand and hold on ripping skin and tendons, powdering, but okay, okay, that's enough of that. Thank you. Until Milo told him to quit. It was rumored that Chopper could take an ear, an eye, a foot, or a leg, and that a second offender who was surprised by Milo and the ever-loyal Chopper would hear the dread cry, Chopper, sick balls. And that kid would be a soprano for the rest of his life. Okay, that's enough of that. Thank you, thank you. Now we got insight into Chopper and not so much on Milo. We don't care about Milo. So I forgot to mention that Teddy's father, I'm guessing, kind of fought in a war. And his father's got issues, so he's up in a state hospital. And Teddy all the time is like talking about like Normandy. Because this is before Vietnam and everything like that. But he's, like, pretending he's always, like, hey, come on, man, move it out, move it out. It's like he's in the army or something. So, Teddy and Vern are, like, way ahead of Gordy and Chris. And Gordy and Chris are kind of saying, you know, Teddy is so fucking crazy. I don't think he's going to live to even see 30. Oh, Chris says he won't live to be 20, I bet. Well, maybe not. We don't know. Gordy mentions to Chris, like, hey, remember that time you saved him in the tree? And Chris is like, yeah, I still dream about that sometimes. But usually I only get a couple of his hairs and then down he goes. He's like, in the dream, I always miss him. I usually just grab like so, uh, a few hairs of his head and boom, he's, he goes down the tree. Alright, so we get the race between Gordy and Chris. And as they said in trivia, Will Wheaton is 
presumably faster than River Phoenix. But, of course, we had to let Chris win, so Will Wheaton's character had to, like, uh, pull it back just a little bit to lose. So Gordy Lachance might not be the best runner, but Will Wheaton sure is. I love how after the race, after Chris is beating Gordy, they're just kind of bent over, like, huffing and puffing, like, <laughs> out of breath, because it's hot out, right? But the look that they share with each other, this, that goofy grin, like, <laughs> uh, like, and I love how they both kind of, Chris swings an arm around Gordy's shoulder, and... Gordy puts a hand on Chris's shoulder, and it's just like best buds all the way, all day, every day. Oh, we got uh, Teddy working the pump to fill their canteens. Yes, definitely. These guys are there for quite a while before eventually Milo Pressman, I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but now they're just hanging it out around some abandoned cars just in the shade Trying to throw rocks into this Hills Bros coffee canister. So they're just kind of shooting the shit here. Talking about, hey, you guys been watching the Mickey Mouse Club lately? He's like, I think Annette's boobs are getting... Well, they don't say boobs. And I'm not going to see the... the I'm not going to say the T word. I, no. Um, so yeah, they notice her chest is getting bigger. Like, the A and the E are starting to, like, round, like curve around the sides like oh my goodness what is it when them t everyone talking of all the guys back in the day that were that age talking about Annette Funicello's boobies on Mickey Mouse Club like it was it was the shit it's, it's just whatever I mean that's no different than teenage kids talking about whoever the hell is popular now I don't know can't really say I mean the only person I can think of that everyone, like, talked about back in the day, and the, but that would have been in, like, the late 90s with, like, Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera and stuff like that. I mean, my guess is nowadays, what, the kids, are the kids talking about, like, Taylor Swift still? I don't know. So they each take, each take turns swigging off of that canteen of water. Of course, Teddy takes a big gulp and just spits it right at the side of Vern's face. Like... And, of course, Gordy and Chris laugh their asses off at that. And Vern's like, oh, yeah, spit at the fat kid. Real great. So Vern's like, hey, Gordy, what time is it? And Gordy's like, well, it's a quarter after one. It's a quarter after one and you still haven't eaten lunch? Seriously? It's like going on 11 and now. And I'm going to be making my lunches. I'm having another brat. I've been kind of hooked. Well... On the brats lately. But the way that I do it. Is I put like you know. I, I go I'm a Hellman's mayonnaise person. I'm not into Miracle Whip. I might have been back in the day. But I'm pure Hellman's all the way. So I put that. I put some shredded mild cheddar cheese. I put some Heinz 57 sauce. I put some um, McCormick's. It's like smokehouse maple. Which you use it to season. You know hamburgs and stuff like that. And then I also put the French's fried onions, uh, crispy onions on there. It's so, so, so good. I'm probably making you all hungry right now, but seriously, 
good, good stuff. And it can work on a burger, too, with the mayo and the... Oh, 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 and the Hormel, like, the little um, real pieces of bacon, like, all crumbled. Oh, it's so good. I'm, I know. I got, I got to be making you guys hungry right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now there's a dilemma about who the hell is going to go grab the food and whatnot. And then, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going. Vern, you can go. He's like, I'm not going. We should all go. It's like, ah, uh, just, ugh. Chris is like, look, we all got nickels on us, right? Let's flip for it. They all turn, they get tails, right? All four of them? So basically they decide, you know, the odd man goes and they all turn up tails on it. Like, oh, that ain't good. And Vern's freaking out. He's like, oh man, that's a coocher. Like, what? So Vern is like, no, that's really bad luck. And Chris is like, that's bullshit. Vern's like, no, seriously, my older brother told me about this guy. He and his friends were like flipping coins to see who would go and get beers. And it turns out all of them got wiped out in a car accident. So they have to reflip. Turns out Gordy is the one that's got to go get the provisions. Go get the provisions, you morbidite. As Ted jo- Teddy jokes. I love Gordy's response to this. Like, hey, don't call me any of your mother's pet names. I love this. Where Gordy gets up. He's like, hey, shut up. And of course, Chris, Bird, and Teddy are all like, hey, I don't shut up. I grow up. And then when I look at you, I throw up. They stick their fingers down their throats. <laughs> and Gordy's like, yeah. And then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. And of course, the guys are all like giving each other noogies. Like, ah, Gordy's got to be the one to go get the food. Have fun with that. So Gordy goes to what looks like it's just a simple store with some bread. I see a box of Czech cereal. Maybe some marshmallows. There's Four bottles of soda, you know, glass bottles, because it was 1959. Oh, oh, okay. No, he's still looking around to see what he's going to get. He just put those four bottles there for uh, the time being. Royal Crown Cola. Apparently, this place, this little shop is not that far out from, you know, where they all live. Because this guy's like, hey, ain't you Denny LaChance's brother? It's like, the fuck? Like, dude, I just came in to get some stuff, man. Why are you rehashing stuff that I really don't want to get into? Oh, he's weighing some, some meat for Gordy on the scale. So this guy's like, wow, it's a shame what happened to your brother. The Bible says in the mists, in the mists of life, we are in death. I'm like, guy, Really? Really? So this guy kind of figures, like, hey, I can kind of, uh, compare myself, but, uh, because he mentions he lost a brother in Korea. So he's, like, trying to sympathize with Gordy or saying, hey, we've all been there. You know, I lost somebody, you know, a brother in Korea. You lost a brother to a car crash. And Gordy just, I don't, seriously want to go into a store and then someone's like, hey, aren't you so-and-so's kid? Oh, it's a shame what happened. It's like, dude, he doesn't want to talk about this. I don't want to go into a store and have someone, like, jump in my shit about my business and bring up shit that I don't want to fucking talk about. I will not shut up. It's like, hey, you look like your brother. If people ever tell you that and Gordy's just looking at him like, sometimes... 
Now this guy is going in on, I remember the year that your brother was all conference. I would have just, like, put the shit back and I would have said, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. Because I don't want to have to deal with you yakking about my brother. I mean, his parents can't even talk about his brother. Yet this guy's all yakety schmackety. It's like 1.30. So if it was 1.15 when Gordy checked the time and it's now like, it's almost like it's 1.35 just about. So it took him maybe almost 20 minutes. But he's been in the store for maybe a couple minutes. Now we got another flashback. This is the last scene with John Cusack as Denny. This is at the kitchen. The the dining room table. They're all sitting around having dinner. Mom wants to talk about a pretty girl named Jane that Denny's seeing. His dad's like, hey, don't get started on the girls. Denny needs to keep his focus on football. Talking about, like, scouts coming to see him and all this stuff. And prospects for college. But Gordy was even ignored then, it feels like. They're all, like, all up on Denny. Oh, are you going to see Jane? Oh, there's going to be scouts at the game, Denny. They're not even... And poor Gordy's like, hey, Mom, can I uh, have the potatoes? And they just continue on talking like Gordy never said anything. So Denny kind of breaks in with, hey, did you read the story that Gordy wrote? Gordy wrote a story. It's almost like he's trying to, like, put something onto his brother to take the flack off of him. Like, I really don't want to talk about football or Jane. Dad, Mom, Gordy wrote a story. Gordy, tell him about the story you wrote. As soon as Denny mentions or changes the subject to Gordy, his dad just looks at him like, we were talking about football. Why are you bringing up your little brother? And at least his mom's like, oh, honey, what did you write? And Gordy kind of rolls his eyes like, you don't really give a shit. Why should I tell you? And now the dad's all, see, football requires concentration. You start in with the girls and his head's all over the place. It's like, dude. Oh, I feel bad for Gordy, man, but at least his brother's trying to stick up for him a little bit and, like, include him in the conversation. I like how Denny kind of leans to Gordy and's like, hey, buddy, I like your story. I thought it was really great. And you just see Gordy just smiling like, ah, oh, thanks, bro. It's really interesting in how the flashback... Gordy's hair is shorter, and it's almost like he doesn't really have bangs, like it's just combed to the side. Where in present day, his hair, he does have bangs, it's just like, it's a lot longer. Not like past his ears long or anything, but it's definitely had time to grow in the last four months. Now this guy's asking Gordy, like, hey, you play football? And Gordy's like, what? He's like, do you play football? And Gordy's like, no. So the guy's like, well, what do you do? And Gordy's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, dude, what do you want from him? He doesn't play football. What, what, what? Like, I'm surprised I'm a writer. I write things. I write stories. I don't play sports. I'm not an athletic person. What does this guy give a shit? <laughs> it's like nobody comes into the store because anybody who does is going to get a long-ass lecture and ask somebody. When I worked in the video store years ago, 
some guy, it was late at night, some guy's just walking around looking at the walls of movies, and he's, like, bringing up, like, college to me, like, oh, you should go to college and this and that, and I'm thinking, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, just rent your fucking movie, let me check you out and get you out the damn door. Why are you jumping into my business? You know, he also got some hamburger buns, there's a buck and a half worth of hamburg there. So no marshmallows. Nope. Well, we only had 237. So, I mean, between the Hamburg and the... Oh my god, I was just thinking about that. That's just gonna start to... It's hot. Like, really hot out, right? And you got, like, ground beef that's gonna fester in your backpack as you guys have, are just walking for hours on end. They're going to attract coyotes, maybe some bears with that ground meat. I just thought of that. So Gordon gets back to the junkyard only to see his fun friends already scaling the fence like they're getting out of there. Of course, Milo Pressman just happens to come out of his little uh, manager shack on the property. It's like he was working on a, a car or something. He sees Gordy. Like, hey, you! You there! You stop! I want to speak to you, young man. Like, he ain't stopping for your ass! Guys, like, come back here. I want to talk to you. It's like, what if Gordy did go over there and talk to him? It's like, what are you going to say? Like, oh, sorry, sir. I um, just need to, like, chill for a sec out, you know, in the shade of your abandoned cars. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. So Gordy just takes off running. And the guy, like, drops his pail and starts running after Gordy. But he's screaming, like, hey, I'll sick my dog on you. And of course, Gordy in his head is thinking, now he said, Chopper, get him, boy. But what I heard was, Chopper, sick balls. We go to the fence line where we got Vern, Chris, and Teddy screaming at Gordy to run, like, move your ass. And now that Gordy's safely on the other side of the fence, we get a load of Chopper, and he's just some plain Jane looking yellow lab mixed with. Some other breed, I don't know, Heinz 57, if that's what they call him. And, and Gordy's, like, sitting on the ground just looking like, Are you shitting me? That's Chopper? That's the dog I was worried was gonna rip my balls off? What a fucking... That's... Wow! My mind is blown. I built... It's like, they built that dog up to be, like, Cujo or, like... Um, the beast from the Sandlot. Like, it was some huge, massive, jumbo, steroid, injected dog. I like how, uh, Adult Gordy kind of narrates here. He says, Chopper was my, my, uh, first lesson in the vast difference between myth and reality. Like, yeah. So Teddy gets really into it. He's like, come on, Choppy, kiss my ass, Choppy. And he's like wiggling his butt in front of the dog. And the dog's like starting to like rip on the back of Teddy's shirt. So Milo Pressman comes up like, hey, you stop teasing my dog. Stop teasing my dog. This dog's got a choker chain on. It's like, this dog looks like a mix between a yellow lab and a golden retriever, because you know yellow labs, pretty much they all have the short fur, right? Golden retrievers have longer fur, so it definitely does look like a mix between a yellow lab and a golden retriever. Teddy even turns around and starts grabbing at his balls and hey, sick balls, choppy! 
<laughs> and now, here we go. Milo Pressman finally made it to the fence line. Damn. You can't stop teasing that dog, you hear me? You stop teasing him. This guy's got nothing better to do than threaten kids. Like, Sonny, I'm going to beat your ass. Tease my dog like that. Seriously? He's not hitting your dog. He's not swearing. Well, he kind of was. He's not. Yeah, I mean, dude, your dog's not phased by it. Like, big damn deal. Your dog's going to live to bite another ass or sick balls another day, guys. Seriously. It's cool. You need to watch your shop more. What were you doing in your little shack? Taking a, a nooner around like 12 o'clock in the afternoon? Sleeping off a bender? What were you doing? Because you, those kids were there for a bit. Laughing, joking, having a great time. You didn't hear any of that shit going on? That place don't look that big. So now it's a big old fight over the, between the fence, uh, between Teddy and Mr. Pressman. And Teddy's like, oh, I'd like to see you try climbing this fence to get me, fat ass. So, what the hell? Pressman has really got it out for Teddy. He's like, don't you call me that, you little tin wood pecky pecker wood loony son. Now he's starting to go deep with it. I'm gonna, like, get you, like, through your dad. Like, say shit about your dad. And Teddy stops laughing and smiling, and he's like, what did you call me? And Pressman's like, I know who you are. You're Teddy, you champ. Your dad's a loony. Apparently the whole thing about his dad taking his ear to a stove and almost burnt it off has been going around town, because even Pressman knows about it. So Teddy, of course, even though his dad was a raging what-have-you and abusive, he's still like, my dad stormed the beach at Normandy. And Pressman's like, he's, your dad's crazier than a shithouse rat. It's like, what the hell, man? This guy, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what the fuck his problem is. And Chris, so you call, or not Chris, Teddy's like, hey, you call my dad a loony again and I will fucking kill you. I will jump over that fence, rip your head off, and shit down your neck. That's exactly what the subtitles say, basically. I'm going to rip your head off and shit down your neck. So we got the guys trying to keep Teddy from going over there. Like I said, this guy's got nothing better to do than just haggle and threaten kids. Like, dude, you need to get a real fucking job. And Chris is like, yeah, he wants to go over there and kick your ass so he can take you to the cops for beating up a kid and this and that. And he's like, hey, you watch your mouth, smart guy. You let him do his own fighting. To he's saying that to Chris. And Gordy, of course, like, you only weigh about 500 pounds, fat ass. I love how Vern is not saying a damn thing. Because what can he really say? I mean, Vern is heavy too, but, I mean, I don't know. Now he's saying that, hey, I know you, you're LaChance, and you're Chambers, and you're so-and-so, and all your fathers are gonna get a call from me. Bullshit. And he's like, except for the loony up in Togus. And that just sets Teddy off again. Finally, they just, like, drag Teddy away. And Teddy is just crying, like, oh, he, he made fun of my dad and this and that. What? A, and Gordy's like, I can't, in his head, well, adult Gordy is saying, I can't believe that Teddy even gives a shit about his dad, being the fact that he almost burnt his ear off on a stove. And he's, Gordy said, you know, his dad, like, only spanked him once because it, he, uh, Gordy was, like, two and he ate bleach under the sink or some shit.
So Chris is trying to cheer up Teddy, like, hey, don't worry about that fat ass over there saying shit about your dad. He's still storming the beach at Normandy. And Teddy's finally like, guys, the, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but please just but let's just drop it and move on. You know, he's wiping his eyes and everything. And then Teddy kind of hangs back for a minute and everyone kind of turns to look at him. He's like, hey, look, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling everyone's good time. And Gordy's like, look, guys, I don't think it should be a good time. I mean, think about it. We are going to find a dead kid. And then Vern's like, yeah, I mean, what if he's all cut up in blood and guts and all this shit? And Chris is like, will you shut the fuck up, Vern? Seriously? Shut up. We don't need to hear about that right now. So, adult Gordy says it was only a quarter to three, so 2.45, but it felt much later. And it was too hot and too much had happened. Yeah, just guys, you need to continue on with your journey. No more pit stops, okay? They weren't even close to- of course they're gonna have to camp for the night somewhere. They're not even remotely close to the Royal River. They haven't even crossed the train trestle yet. So now we cut back to Ace and Eyeball and their friends, and some guy is using a box cutter blade to carve cobras into some guy's arm because they're all in a gang called the Cobras. So Billy is hanging with some Catholic girl and he's been going with her for a month and the only thing she'll let him do is feel up her boobies. And Ace is like, yeah, she's a Catholic man. They're all like that. He says, if you want to get laid, you got to get yourself a Protestant. Or a Jew, I guess. Okay. Ace would probably know because I'm sure he's fucked every available girl from one end of Castle Rock to the other. Alright, so while they're hanging out in their version of a junkyard, their little hangout, um... News bulletin comes on the radio. Police have expanded their efforts in the search of the boy, 12-year-old Ray Brower. To include Mutton, Durham, and the outlying area. So, of course, Eyeball's like, hey, why don't they just give up? They're never going to find him. Charlie, of course, is like, yeah, well, now we're there looking. But Billy's like, seriously, Eyeball's right, Charlie. They ain't never going to find him. And then, shut your fucking mouth, Charlie. We agreed upon we weren't going to say anything. Some random cobra guy who's also giving another member of their group a cobra tattoo on their arm. Because I'll tell you how they're going to find him. They're going to go and some hunter's going to go and piss on his bones years later. And of course they're like, I bet you a thousand bucks they found him before that. And then so on and so forth. And let's move on from this because this is boring. I just really like this. This is the side story shit is not. I don't give a fine fart about any of this Ace and Eyeball and Charlie and Billy and the other two nameless hoo-hahs that are in their group. Right now we cut to the boys. They're on the train track. They're just walking along. We got Teddy and Vern at the front. They're just singing along to Lollipop and uh, Chris and uh, Gordy are just hanging back talking about what grammar school is going to be like, how different it's going to be. Oh, he's also mentioning that he stole some cigarettes from his old man so they can each have a cigarette uh, after supper. That's what a cigarette tastes best, apparently. So Gordy, of course, wants to seriously talk about, you know, if he's weird. Like, am I weird? And, and Chris is like, yeah, man, you're totally weird. 
Gordy's like, no, seriously, as he kind of stops and like, am I weird? So Chris is like, dude, I don't know where you're going with this. Everybody's weird, okay? I mean, you're weird, I'm weird. Teddy and Vern are definitely weird. Chris is the one that brings up, like, hey, you ready for school? Junior high. I mean, you know what that means, right? He said, uh, Chris says, by next June, we'll all be split up. And Gordy's like, wait, what are you talking about? Why would that happen? Chris is like, well, it's not going to be like grammar school. That's why. You'll be taking your college courses. In junior high, you're taking college courses? I don't think so. Unless it's like, is this like a junior high that goes from, like, 7th grade all the way to 12th grade. I, I mean, I'm sure there are maybe schools that might have done that back in the day, whether they do that now. Mine basically was 6th grade was middle school. 6th through 8th middle school. The 9th through 12 is going to be high school. Everyone's kind of got it a little different where high school for some starts at 10th grade, which I think they did that on the Wonder Years. So Chris pretty much estimates that Gordy's going to go on to do big things. Me, Teddy, and Vern, we're going to be in the shop courses with the rest of the, you know, idiots making ashtrays and birdhouses. This is pretty much like, hey, buddy, we're going to, like, hold you back in life. You really need to make some new friends, like smart friends that will actually, you know, escalate you and the path that you're going to take down the road and everything. You know, people that actually have stuff and other people like, you know, writers and and other people that have the same hopes and dreams and interests that you have. So Gordy doesn't want to leave his friends, you know. I get it. You've been with them for a long time. They're your friends. But Chris is like, look, you hang with us, you're just going to be another asshole with shit for brains, really. Like, we're clearly dragging you down, and you're meant for better things. Me, I know where I'm going to end up in life. And I know where Teddy and Vern are going to end up in life. Probably both of them dead. Now we cut ahead to Teddy and Vern having a discussion about, do you think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? And of course, Teddy's like, are you an idiot? Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. And Vern's like, yeah, but he had, like, six elephants in his hand. It's like, oh, my goodness, seriously. But then again, that's the kind of talk you talk, like, as a kid and all that. Like, what do you think could beat the other one up? Superman or Batman? Or the Hulk versus Thor or something to that effect? What about Wonder Woman versus Captain Marvel? Hmm. I don't really read, uh the comic books and I do have the Wonder Woman movie I thought it was good and I did see Captain Marvel which I, I liked that one um another one that I did I have not really seen any of the Avengers movies as far as the Avengers uh t but I did buy Infinity War and I'll probably have to watch um no wait no uh Endgame I bought Endgame and I pro I think Infinity War is on Netflix if I want to see it because I guess Infinity War is supposed to be part one and then um, Endgame is supposed to. The only reason I wanted to is because I did see the new Spider-Man movie and they were talking about stuff that happened 
prior to, like, in the Avengers Endgame, and I'm like, what is this stuff? I need to see the Endgame movie, so that way I kind of know what's going on. Because they're talking about this blip thing, like, five years had passed between um, the Endgame movie and the Spider-Man Far From Home movie, so I'm like, okay, I need to, like, get clear, get some stuff cleared up that I'm confused about. But now we come back to Chris and Gordy, and Chris is like, man, look, you could be a real writer one day. And Gordy's like, well, fuck writing. I don't want to be a writer. It's like, you want to be a writer. Newsflash, he becomes a writer as an adult. He writes books. But the only reason he's schlubbing that off is just because the fear of losing his only friends. I mean, he lost his older brother and everything, and his parents ignore his ass. So, of course... You know, his comfort zone is going to be his friends. That's his home. Of course, Gordy's like, it's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. And Chris says, no, that's your dad talking. And Gordy says, bullshit. And I like how Chris says, bull true. It's like, I know how your dad doesn't give a shit about you. He doesn't care about you. Denny was the one that he cared about. So Chris and Gordy walk along in silence for a couple steps. And Chris says, look, Gordy, you're just a kid. And Gordy wheels around on Chris and is like, oh, gee, thanks, Dad. And Chris gives it right back and says, yeah, I wish the hell I was your dad because you wouldn't be talking about taking these stupid shop courses if I was. And he's like, look, God gave you something. All these stories that you can come up with. And God's like, hey, we gave you this great gift, kid. Try not to lose it. But the thing is, Gordy, kids lose everything unless there's somebody there to watch out for them. So now the boys arrive at the train trestle where it's pretty much a bridge. There's a drop-off. There's water at the bottom. And they kind of wonder, like, hey, when is the next train due? Because, honestly, if a train comes and we're in the middle of this thing, we're going to be fucking killed. Either we're going to be hit by the train, we're going to be knocked off into the water and fall to our deaths. So Chris is like, hey, we could go down to the Route 136 bridge. And Teddy's like, no, 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 no. We cross this. We're going to get to where we need to go in half the time. Because if we go down to the Route 136 bridge, that's like five miles. And we got to walk five miles back. I could walk like, I used to walk like, like three miles, maybe a little over. And that would take me at a decent pace, like an hour and a half. Eventually, they are going to start losing daylight, and they are going to have to eventually camp, so... So, yeah, Teddy's like, hey, we walk five miles down the river, we gotta walk five miles back, that'll take till dark. We go across here, we could be the sa- at the same place in ten minutes tops. And Teddy's a little nervous, he's- or not Teddy, I'm sorry, Vern's a bit nervous, I mean... Teddy seems to have it in his mind, like, I'm crossing this bridge. This is what I'm doing. You guys can follow me. But Vern's like, hey, what if a train comes? Then what's going to happen? And he's like, oh, um, that's just fine. You just uh, jump off of the the trestle. And Chris is like, Teddy, that's like 100 feet. So Teddy tells him, look, you guys want to go five miles down that way, go for it. I'm crossing here. While you guys are dragging your candy asses halfway across the state and back, I'll be on the other side, relaxing with my thoughts. And I love how Gordy's like, hey, Teddy, use your right hand or your left hand for that. And he just, Teddy just looks at 
Gordy like, you wish. <laughs> Funny, the, a little masturbation joke in there. Which, at the time when I saw this movie, I might have been maybe 9, 10 years old. I, I never would have gotten that joke. So Gordy is the smart one here. He immediately bends down to put his hand on the rail to see if it's hot. If it's hot or uh, vibrating in any way, he'll know if a train is coming, which it's not doing either of those things, so they're pretty good. They just start walking. I would have tripped on this thing and clearly fallen to my death. Those planks are so far apart. And Vern isn't helping because Gordy is like right behind Vern who's crawling along it like a dog. Mind you, remember the comb that Vern had in his little front pocket? Boom. Down into the river it goes. Bye-bye comb. He's like, no, my comb. And he turns to look at up at Gordy. Says, I lost the comb. And Gordy's like, forget about it, Vern. Look, we weren't going to be on TV anyway, okay? It's not a big deal. Let's just keep going. And Chris and Teddy are actually quite a ways ahead of them. So they're about maybe halfway at the halfway point crossing this trestle bridge. Trestle tracks, whatever you want to call it. Gordy decides to do another rail check. He feels that it's warm and it's starting to vibrate. And he turns, and just as he turns to look, you see a smokestack. You see that smoke in the air. Like, yes. And then as soon as he sees that, it's like he hears it. He screams, train, over to Chris and Teddy that are way up there. He's like, Vern, you got to get your fucking ass up from a dog crawling position and move your fucking ass. Vern is like all panicked to the point where he's like hugging his sleeping bag like we're gonna die we're gonna die we're gonna fall and Gordy is like trying to yank his ass up saying get the fuck up now you're gonna get us both killed so Teddy and Chris are actually not on the tracks anymore they're safely off of them and they're like come on man move your ass come on come on come on move it move it move it and Gordy is like behind Vern like move it move it just pushing him like go 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 and the train is like literally on their ass like right fucking behind them and meanwhile the the train's blowing the whistle and whatever it can do it's not trying to stop like it really doesn't care it's clearly you gotta fucking see these kids they're right in front of your ass somebody is on that train right so they're right on the edge of where the train meets the grass and everything. And the boys have no choice but to just plop over the side. And luckily they don't fall in the water, but they hit like a bunch of dirt and rocks. Which, they're lucky. I mean, they might be dirty, but they're not bleeding. No one's got a head injury or a concussion. None of that shit. No scrapes. Nothing. They're like, absolutely fine. These boys missed these rock boulders by mere inches or centimeters. Vern's holding his head like, ah, oh my god, these poor boys. Of course, uh, either Chris or Teddy says, hey, at least we know when the next train is due. And they just look at him like, go fuck yourself, buddy. <laughs> go fuck yourself hard. Oh, it was Chris that said, hey, at least we now we know when the next train was due. 
Like, oh, go fuck yourself. So now the guys have kind of packed it in for the night. They got a campfire going. They're roasting their hamburg, which probably reeks to high heaven. And Teddy is just like, oh, Vern, you were so scared. You look like the, the one of the fat guy in Abbott and Costello. Because he's like, oh, that was the ultimate train dodge. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yep. So yeah, the rest of the Hamburgs, and Chris is like, Vern, you're going to want to turn yours over. Because he's got like a big old lump on a stick. And Vern's like, oh, no, no, this is the way I like it. Kerplunk goes into the fire. And it's like, oh, shit, you got any more, Gordy? And he's like, nope, that was it. We divvied it up between the four of us. <laughs> Luckily, I guess Vern gets it back. It's like, yeah, but it's got like ash on it and dirt and whatnot. Ew. So while Vern, before he actually gets it back, he's like, oh man, this isn't funny. What am I supposed to eat? Teddy's like, hey, you can cook your dick. <laughs> and Chris is like, yeah, that'd be a small meal. <laughs> They're having fun at uh, Vern's expense. Hey, Chris told you to turn it over. You didn't listen. Now, the boys are all smoking cigarettes since it's after dinner. Chris said, hey, we'll have a smoke after dinner. That's the best time when a cigarette tastes the best. And they're 12. I get it. This idea of smoking at that age, you know, for kids back in the day. It's like, hey, I'm a grown-up. I'm smoking a cigarette. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of thought it was cool for a bit. I mean, I tried smoking and stuff. And even when I was like 17, I bought like a pack of cigarettes from a place in town that didn't, you know, one particular person that wouldn't check ID. And that pack of cigarettes, like, would last me a bit. But I never got hooked on it. I think because I never really truly inhaled. So I just was like, meh. I don't even know. How the hell much do cigarettes even cost? Back in the day when I was at, uh, working at a convenience store, um, they were maybe six, seven dollars a pop, depending on the brand that you got. Chris was like, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. Gordy, tell us a story. We're around a campfire. It's dark out. Granted, friends like, no scary stories. I can't handle that. So Teddy, of course, wants a war story about Sergeant Steele and the battling leathernecks or whatever the hell. Of course, Gordy's like, well, the one I've been thinking about is kind of different. You know what I just thought? How similar Bill from... Stephen King's It is the Gordy. And not just because, oh, if you think about it, not only are they both writers as adults, but they both lost a brother to a horrific event. Gordy's brother died in a car crash. Bill's brother got his arm ripped off by a clown. We get the pie eating contest with Davy Hogan, this fat kid. Man, this movie is all about the fat shaming, am I right? Hooey vey. Cody's trying to tell a story. Like, oh, this Davy Hogan guy, he's our age, but he's fat. Like, really fat. He's like 180, but it's not his fault because it's his glands. Like, maybe he's got an overactive thyroid or something. And Vern keeps interrupting, like, oh, my cousin's like that. Sincerely. Blah, 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 blah. She's a total blimp. Like, shut your mouth and let him tell the fucking story. So the whole town, like, instead of calling him Davy, they all call him Lardass Hogan. Even his little brother and sister call him Lardass. So it's the great Tri-County Bake Off and Pie Eat. The Benevolent Order of an uh, Antelopes. These guys wearing, like, white paper hats that look like they belong to uh, the Shriners. 
and it says BOA with a antelope on the front of it. When they all got weird looking horns, excuse me, coming out of there. And they're wearing like yellow like bowling shirts. You know it's Gordy's story when he's got uh, the boss man Bob Cormier from the radio station as DJ host being a contestant as well. When I was young and probably first seeing this, I just thought, like, this was something a kid in their town. I couldn't differentiate from the fact that this was just a character and a story that Gordy had made up in his mind, even though he said he was telling them a story. But Davey, lardass Hogan, is completely fictional. He does not exist in the real world. The whole town takes fun in ridiculing this Davey Hogan, who honestly looks like... He's not that heavy. He's just literally, it looks like he's got like pillows strapped to his stomach and uh, his back. The guy who's also in the pie eating contest like trips Davy as he's going up and people just start laughing at him like, oh, I'm sorry, young man. <laughs> and then as he helps him up, he says, don't even think about winning this one, lard ass. Like, oh, jeez. Even the guy who's hosting this pie eat contest calls Davy Lardass. I mean Davy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and as Davy is walking onto the stage, you hear people going boom, bob, boom, bob, boom. And he just like glares at them like you pieces of shit. I'm gonna fucking get you back so bad. Four-time champion Bill Travis is also a contestant and the crowd goes wild like yay. That was the guy that tripped Davy. So they start, you know, shoving their faces into the pies and just going for gusto, especially Davey. And Gordy lets his friends know, well, actually, this was going to be payback. Before the contest, Davey had drank some castor oil and a raw egg to make himself, you know, eventually throw up. So as he's eating the pie, he's thinking of really nasty, gross things like rat guts and other pies made of shit, I guess. I don't know. He start, He stands up and he starts getting, like, you hear the gurgling in his stomach. Like, blah, 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 blah. This kid's face is covered in pie flakes and blueberry sauce. He stands up and he is groaning. His stomach is churning like he's going to, like, shit out of both ends. So, Davey, like, vomits, like, literally all over this guy, uh, Travis, whatever his name is, four-time-eating pie-champion guy. And the thing is, you can tell it's not coming out of the mouth. It's coming from a hose to the side of the mouth with everybody because everybody starts throwing up. It's a major barfarama, as Gordy calls it. So that was pretty much the story. The kids all cheer, like, yeah! He got them back. So Teddy's like, then what happened? <laughs> and Gordy's like, well, what do you mean? And Teddy's like, well, I mean, what happened? Like, what happened at the end? He's like, well, that's the end. So basically, Gordy left them all on one uh, on a pretty big cliffhanger. Like, he's like, no, that's the end. They, he says, you know, it's why it's a short story. There's no conclusion. There's no novella. There's no prequel. There's no sequel. Nothing. That's your story. Which isn't that sometimes how you want to end a story is by leaving it hanging like that and letting the, like, reader kind of 
guess for themselves and kind of wonder what they think could happen. So, cool. so, <laughs> so Teddy is the ultimate critic. Like, what happened? Like, that's the ending? Seriously? What happened to Lardass? Fuck, I don't know. What do you think happened to him, Teddy? Make up your own damn ending. That's where fan fiction was born, everybody. Because Teddy starts, like, say that he went home and, like, killed his parents and brother and sister and then, like, went off somewhere to... So poor Gordy's like, I don't know, I guess he went home and celebrated with a couple cheeseburgers? What more do you want? You want me to make up an ending? He's like, hey, Gordy, why don't you make it so Lardass goes home and shoots his father? Okay, buddy, um, you know what? You have a lot of issues you, you do need to work through. Um, I know it's 1959, therapists, whether or not they were a thing, I have no fucking clue. But clearly, you have some deep-rooted issues you need to work out. And Teddy adds, then he runs away and he joins the Texas, Texas Rangers. How about that? Uh... Like, hey, Teddy, how about that be your ending, okay? You just created your own fan fiction. Lardass, the journey continues. Granted, Vern's like, yeah, I like the ending. And the barfing was really good. Don't, the only thing I don't get is, uh, did he have to pay to be in the contest? And, of course, Gordy's like, no, Vern. They just let him in. Who the hell would want to pay to be in a contest, anyway? That's so lame. Like, if I gotta pay to be in a contest, I better fucking win. That's all I gotta say. Alright, so you guys want some tunes to go sleepy sleep to. Or at least just to wind down for the night. Or maybe to block out the sounds of the coyotes. So, although Gordy kind of narrates that the guys kind of talked into the night, you know, the kind of talk that seemed important until you discovered girls. Because they're like 12 at this point, so they're not about the girls yet. They're not girl crazy. So they ask all the important questions, or at least important questions to them. The age-old question that nobody will ever stop wondering about. Alright, Mickey's a mouse, Donald's a duck, Pluto's a dog. What the fuck is Goofy? It's an anthropomorphic dog, right? You know, wears a hat, drives a car, has a kid. So we get from Vern. If I could only have one food for the rest of my life, cherry-flavored Pez, no question. So Teddy's like, yeah, Goofy's a dog. He's definitely a dog. He is a dog. He's got ears and a nose like a dog. But he doesn't have a tail. You never see a tail on Goofy because his pants are covering... He could have a tail, but his pants are covering the tail. You don't see a bear, but wait a minute. Now, if Goofy's wearing a bathing suit, usually he's wearing like one of those 1930s, you know, the suit, the the guys would wear like a suit that looks like almost like a woman's like one piece. So... Then either he has a tail and it's stuffed on his bathing suit, or... I don't know. That's my guess. So Gordy's like, yeah, I knew the $64,000 question was fixed. There's no way anyone knows that much about opera. Well, Gordy, I mean, somebody could if they had no life, no job, and they just read about opera all day, every day, until they consumed all the information there was to consume pre-internet. Sure, I could believe it. Like that guy that uh, managed to uh, memorize all the um, boards of the, um, what's that show with the little red gremlin thing? Um, 
press your luck. That one, that guy that memorized all the patterns. Yeah, there are people out there like that. There really are. Jeopardy didn't exist yet. There are people that know loads of information just for those purposes of going on those game shows. You kind of have to. Chris brings it back to Goofy. He's like, no, he can't be a dog. He wears a hat and drives a car. But he looks like a dog. He's got ears like a dog, a face like a dog. So Gordy mentions wagon training. Wagon train? He's like, yeah, that's a really cool show, but they just keep wagon training. They never get anywhere. Well, neither did Gilligan. They never got off that damned island. Never. Eleven seasons later on The Walking Dead, there is no cure. And there probably never will be a cure. I'm Well, maybe I shouldn't say never, right? Because it's, but it's 11, se- I stopped watching The Walking Dead probably before season six ended. I threw on the towel and it just, it got repetitive. It's like they had a banging season opener. They had a banging cliffhanger series, uh, season finale. All the shit in between, fucking filler. And I'm just, I can't anymore. After watching Glenn Die, which that was hard as hell. I had to fast forward through some of that shit because I had DVR'd it. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. That is too much. I eventually got desensitized to some of it, the violence of The Walking Dead. But that, watching poor Glenn get his head beaten in with the bat by Nagin I'm like I can't I can't do and even Abraham like oh alright Glenn and Abraham I can't I can't do it anymore so of course there's four boys one of them's gotta keep watch they're taking shifts like hey Teddy you can take first you know Teddy was more than happy to hold on to that loaded gun and he starts pretending like he's doing patrols like in the army and stuff like oh the area is secure and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, will you shut the fuck up, Teddy? Shut your mouth. We can't sleep. Do whatever you're doing, but do it quietly in your head where we don't have to hear it. Oh, I'm sorry. Prior to that, we hear and they're like, oh, it's probably coyotes. But they're like, oh, what if it's Ray Brower's ghost walking around? It's like, Gordy is like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like a woman being murdered or something. No, a woman screaming, I'm sorry. Then again, think about it. You're alone in the dark woods. The only thing you have there is a fire. Well, and a gun. But even still, anyone says anything, you're immediately going to be freaked out. Because, like, oh, it's a ghost walking around. It's like, don't say that, man. Don't say that, that you're freaking me out right now. (laughs) <laughs> Teddy's like, hey man, I want to see the ghost, okay? So he starts wandering off and you're like, and, and Teddy just like collapses. Go <laughs> off. Vern is the last person you want to put a loaded gun into his hands. He is like really freaking out to the point where every sound, a crooked chirp, a rustle of the leaves, he is like, huh, huh, oh my god, huh, huh, pointing a loaded gun. Uh, Chris is the next one up for the shift and he's trying to keep that fire going. Gordy of course Gordy of course is having a nightmare. You know about they're at Denny's funeral his dad looks over 
to G Gordy and puts a hand on Gordy's shoulder and says, it should have been you, Gordon. And right away, Gordy wakes up. So Chris is sitting there, like I said, he's working the flames, getting them to be bigger and, you know, stay lit and not go out. And Gordy has the nightmare about his brother, Denny, being lowered in the ground. I already talked about that. And he wakes up from it, and Chris is like, oh, did you have a bad dream? And Gordy's like, Gordy reveals he didn't cry at Denny's funeral, which maybe sometimes you might not. There's nothing wrong with not crying at a funeral. Sometimes you want to grieve in private. And that's your own right to do so. But don't feel guilty just because you didn't cry at a f funeral of a loved one. There's nothing wrong with you. Gordy says, you know, I miss him, Chris. I really, really miss him. Chris says, Gordy, just go back to sleep. Chris gets up and goes to sit at the foot of a tree. He's got the gun on him. And Gordy goes and sits up right next to Chris. And I was thinking about this last night as I was, you know, scrolling through Instagram and, you know, looking at the IMDb page of Stand By Me and everything and just kind of thinking about how all the boys except for Vern get to have a moment where they reveal their true feelings, where they show their emotion. And, I mean... First we had Teddy's, now we're going to have Chris's, then Gordy's going to finally be able to open up and just let himself feel things and all the emotion and everything and hurt he's been carrying around since his brother died will come out. Now we get to see a side of Chris, you know, he lets himself be vulnerable in front of his friend, but he immediately pulls back and says, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't be doing this in front of you, but, uh, to start off, Gordy just say, hey, you know, maybe you could go into those college courses with me. And Chris kind of scoffs like, yeah, right, me taking college courses. Have you met my family? The whole town thinks my family is a big pile of shit, and so am I. Like, Chris just, he just feels just by carrying that name Chambers that he is meant for a life of nothing. A future of nothing. But where we saw Chris have Gordy's back, where he's like, hey, you could be a real writer one day. You know, somebody has to support your dreams and believe in you. If you can't believe in yourself and your dad's going to shit on your dreams, then I'm here to help you believe in yourself and achieve those dreams. Like, God gave you a gift. And by golly, I'm going to help you harness that gift and use it to the best of your ability. And now Gordy's going to do the same for Chris. The thing is, you really, the bond between these two boys is so much stronger and bigger than with Teddy and Vern. They're just chummy and everything, you know? They don't talk about their true, real feelings. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some guys do, some guys don't feel comfortable with it. So Gordy's like, well, man, you're smart enough. You can do this. And he's like, no. No, they won't let me. And Gordy's like, well, what do you mean, Chris? And Chris says, it's the way the people think of my family in this town and me. 
And Chris sees himself as everyone else apparently sees him as just another one of those low-life Chambers kids. So I'm going to play this clip of River Phoenix. This is the most, to me, one of the best scenes in the movie is his breakdown and him just being so upset that nobody will ever see him other than just a member of a a low-life family and how he'll never be able to progress and move up in the world because that family of his and that town is going to keep him down. Like, no, you're not going to rise above your station. You're going to stay here in this town, probably not somebody up, be working at a fucking gas station or a lumber yard. You're never going to go to college. You're never going to graduate high school. And that's not that he does He more than likely would love to take college courses with Gordy. Love that. But because of his family, because of that town, it's almost like he's stuck. And he wants so badly just to escape that town and escape that name and just start fresh. But, and he launches, Chris launches into a story about, you know, how, um, Gordy's father said, oh, well, Chris is a thief. You stole the milk money at school. That's a thief in my book. And Chris launches into a story about how no one even asked me if I took the milk money that time. They just gave me a three-day vacation. And I I guess in a way not to side against Chris, but if you do it so many times... The teacher eventually is just going to say, well, it was obviously you because you've done it like 10 other times. And if that were the case, if he'd done it so often, I'd say after the first couple times, don't make him the milk monitor. So Gordy's like, well, did you take it? And Chris is like, well, yeah, I took it. It's like, you knew I took it. Teddy knew I took it. Even Vern, I'm sure. And now Chris... Definitely surprises Gordy and even the viewer where Chris says, well, maybe I felt bad and just maybe I tried to give the money back. Like it was all there, all of it. But unfortunately, the money never showed up at the office. Maybe I was sorry and I tried to give it back. Tried to give it back? Maybe. Just maybe. Maybe. Maybe I took it to old lady Simons and told her, and the money was all there. But I still got it through the vacation because it never showed up. Maybe the next week, old lady Simons had this brand new suit on when she came to school. Yeah, yeah, it was brown and had dots on it. Yeah. So let's just say that I stole the milk money, but old lady Simons stole it back from me. Just suppose that I told the story. Me. Chris Chambers, kid brother to Eyeball Chambers. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? Oh. And do you think that that bitch would have dared tried something like that if it had been one of those douchebags from up on the view if they had taken the money? No way. Hell no. But with me? I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she <laughs> saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for trying to give it back. I just never thought. I never thought the teacher. Oh, he's a fucking 
I guess I'm just a pussy girl. So yeah, really, a fucking teacher would do that to a student. And not just any student, she did that to Chris. Why? Because she thought, oh, I bet anything, she probably did have her eye on that skirt and thought, hey, the next time they, well, and she probably didn't expect Chris to give the money back, but she's thinking, hey, he's already been in trouble like three other times. What's going to make a difference if I just take that money and go spend it on myself? And Chris is just, he's heartbroken. He never thought, I mean, sure, the guy, you know, you know, his older brother and Ace and everyone, you know, treat him like shit and everything. He expects that. But a teacher, an adult, to go and pull that shit on him. He's like, I, I never thought a teacher would do that to me. Where an individual would, you know, someone that, you know, I'm sure he doesn't, you know, respect her and everything. Kids don't really. But, um, that, that's horrible. You know, you're, as a kid, you're told to respect your elders and, you know, listen to authority figures. But to do something bad and then try to make up for it and then only to find out that someone screwed you over? Someone that you're supposed to respect? That would piss me off. More than anything. But you'd also feel, you know, hurt. It's like, how, honestly, would he be able to keep going to school and having that person for a teacher and be able to look them in the face and just say, think, I know what you did. Every time you wear this. That woman's got no guilt. She's got no guilt. And Chris breaks down. He's like, God, I just wish I could go somewhere where nobody knows me. And it breaks my heart so much that you just want to give that boy a hug. It's like, buddy, it is going to be okay. Things will get better. For a little bit, anyway. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's sad. And he just looks at Gordy. And, and Chris is embarrassed, you know, crying in front of his friend. Like, oh, you must think I'm a big pussy or something for, you know, crying over this stupid thing. Like, who gives a fuck about it? I mean. But Gordy just, you know, squeezes Chris's shoulder. Like, no, don't think that, man. It's, just let it, just let it out. Just, it's okay. You know? Like, you guys, you're friends, man. There is no, you have no reason to be embarrassed. You told the hardest truth that you possibly could. The biggest, probably, secret that you were carrying inside of you. So, that scene does get me. It, it does. It breaks my heart. Because Chris has got a heart of gold, that boy. He really does. And you really root for his character. Like, you want to see him you know, casts away the shackles of this shitty town and his shitty family and just do something. Because he wants, the drive and determination is there. It's just that cloud that keeps, you know, always over his head and just, just his family and that town is just, like, pulling him down. Like, no, you can't leave. This is where we get the, uh, Gordy's sitting on the train rail Reading a comic, his friends are probably still sleeping. You know, it's a perfect time to just get a moment by yourself. And the deer comes along. And the deer just, he and Gordy make eye contact. And it's just like, 
one of those precious moments, like you hold, you hold inside of yourself, and just like he didn't want to tell him to his friends. I get it. His friends either would have laughed at him, like, "Oh, that's so dumb." Oh, a deer! Wow. Oh, I bet we could have killed it and made deer meat or something. They wouldn't have gotten the the semblance of it. So, and adult Gordy says I haven't spoken about this moment or even wrote about it until just now. So the boys are eating something. I'm not sure what it is, but Gordy probably picked it up when he was back at that store. And we have Vern complaining, like, oh, jeez, Gordy, why don't you get some breakfast stuff like Twinkies and Pez and Root Beer? Like, dude, no. I love what Gordy says. He's like, sorry, Vern, I guess a more experienced shopper would have gotten more for your seven cents. <laughs> So, the boys pressed on for the Royal River. Whatever they had to eat was not enough to fully sustain them until lunchtime, or even if they got any food for lunch, I don't know. Or dinner that night, I have no idea. But, Gordy, adult Gordy does say that they were on their way to find Ray Brower, and that this mission now, for Gordy, was starting to become an obsession to find this kid's dead body. It's almost like in finding this kid's dead body, it's almost like, what is it? Maybe, in a way, could be closure for Gordy to accept that his brother's gone, or just... Because eventually he does break down, and I think it takes seeing Ray Brower's body to really hit home for him. So, they made it to where the royal is. They gotta go across this field, this wheat field. If it's a wheat field, I don't know. And Teddy says, wow, the tracks go way out of the way. And Chris says, hey, if we cut across this field, we can be there in like an hour. Who wants to stick to the tracks? Why? You're gonna go way the hell out of your way. And T Teddy's like, hey, man, let's just cut across the field. Like you, Chris said, it's an hour. Let's do this. So both Charlie and Billy have done as much as they could with keeping the secret about where Ray Brower's body is at. Where? So Billy and Charlie, according to adult Gordy, managed to keep their secret about Ray Brower for about 36 hours. So basically... A day and 12 hours. So I get Ace's cover story. He's got some fishing rods and stuff. He's like, hey, we got fishing rods. The cops stop us. We'll just say, hey, we were here to pull some steelheads out of the river. Wow, look what we stumbled upon. See? Granted, Billy and Charlie don't want to go. And definitely Charlie. Because, you know, with the whole, the cop caught them boosting a car and shit like that. So they're afraid if the cops come upon them, their asses are going to jail or some shit. The guys are now in the woods. They're walking through some mucky sludge to the point where it's past their shoes and just above their ankles. Ew. So apparently this disgusting ass pond they stumbled upon stretches on to eternity because they see no other way to get around this pond. Good grief. This is nasty. I would not be going through that crap. I would not be swimming in it, walking in it, none of that. So, of course, they're like, hey, how deep is this? Just so we kind of have an idea. 
Chris takes a stick, starts poking around. Like, oh, it's not that deep. See, the stick touches the ground. We're good. They get two feet in there, and they are kabum. Just drops right off. Shit. Well, where Chris was, like, touching the water with that stick, it's, like, basically a foot in front of him. <laughs> oh, it's not that deep. That stick's big enough. Stick it out much farther and see what happens. Okay, they stick one foot in and then they take a step forward. Immediately, they fall right in. So Vern's the first one to say something. He's like, oh, I told you we should have stuck to the tracks. Teddy looks at him and says, is it me? Are you, are you the world's biggest pussy? And Vern looks at him and says, oh, I suppose this is fun for you. And Teddy's like, oh, no, not this. But this is as he grabs Vern and dunks him under that dirty, nasty water. So Chris is like, hey, Teddy, act your age, all right? And Teddy's like, hey, this is my age. I'm in the prime of my youth, and I'll only be young once. You're swimming in a leech-filled pond, buddy. What? <laughs> Whatever. That's where you get your jollies. Chris is like, yeah, but you'll be stupid for the rest of your life, basically. Gordy is not about it. He's like, let's just swim across. Let's get to the other side. Granted, Chris, Vern, and Teddy are all like, hey, no, we're going to have a WW what-have-you wrestling tournament right here in this leech-filled pond. So Gordy's almost to the end of that pond there. And Chris notices, like, oh, Gordy, where do you think you're going with Chance? All three boys dogpile on top of Gordy. And that's where it's like, hey, there's something on your neck. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Oh, no, it was on... Whose neck was it? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's on Vern's neck. And Vern's the one that's got basically Gordy in a headlock sleeper hold, which is a wrestling move from back in the day and probably even in today's world. And Vern's like, oh yeah, I'm not falling for that. And it's like, no, Vern, like, seriously, there is something on your neck. And Chris Clarifies like, no, seriously, Vern, there is something on your neck. It's a leech! Oh my god! And they all, like, scramble out of there as fast as they can. They start stripping off their shirts, and it's just, oh my god, they're all over, and they are all over them. I suppose it wouldn't uh, help to tell them, like, oh, they used leeches back in the day for uh, to suck out poison out of blood and other things. No, no, that would be the last thing they'd want to hear. Like, get them off, get them off, get them off. I thought you had to burn them off. Um, there's at my, um, my mom's parents' house, they had a little farm. They had a pond kind of similar to this. And the kids, my cousins weren't in the pond, but they were near it. And I think there was a leech that wound up on, like, a cousin's ankle. And someone had a lighter and they had to, like, burn it off because they couldn't just rip it off. This scene, watching this as, like, a 9 or 10-year-old, freaked me the fuck out. Seriously. Gordy, of course, he gets this... Quinny, what are you doing over there? It's a refrigerator. Um, <laughs> yeah, my cat's, like, standing up against the fridge. Like, she senses there's something there that may or may not be there. Cats might have sixth sense. I don't know. This cat might. But anyway, Gordy gets a sense. 
And he looks down, and he has a leech on his fucking ball sack. Ew. Yeah, I was just looking in the book about him pulling that leech off, and it just, like, burst between his fingers. It was really freaking gross. And even then, the book, he's like, I can't. Can you, Chris? Can you get it? And Chris is like, I, I, Gory, I, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> so, and, and at first, it's like, in the book, Gordy's like, trying to, like, just brush it with the back of his hand. Like, hey, maybe it'll just automatically, you know, fall off. No, that thing hung on for dear life. And, ugh. And poor Gordy, he just, just, I can't even imagine just seeing the blood there and just right away, he faints. And as Gordy pulls that leech out of his underwear and holds it up, you see his hand, like, literally shaking. And it's one of those things where it's like, your vision starts to go, you see spots in front of your, dark spots in front of your eyes, and then your vision starts to, like, go black, and you just, boom, he hits the ground. Of course, they gotta have something to relieve the darkness of the scene. And Vern's like, wow, I've never known anyone who fainted before. And Teddy's like, maybe he made a bad mistake and looked at your face. So Chris is like, all right, shut up, guys. All right, Gordy, you all right? So Chris helps him. I think all the guys, once Gordy finds one in his underwear, the other boys were late. They quickly look like, okay, we're safe. And now Chris is saying, guys, I really think we need to go back. Gordy is really bothered. And Teddy's like, hey, no, man, we came all this way. We need to continue. And Chris and Teddy start getting into a shoving match. Vern starts in on Teddy. And the boys are just getting into a big scuffle. Meanwhile, Gordy is just kind of standing against a tree, just trying to calm down from this you know, leech on the testicles scenario that he just uh, had. And he finally, he just screams at them to stop! Stop it! And all boys freeze and look at him. Like, this is the first time that Gordy has ever raised his voice. And Gordy just starts, like, walking like, I'm on a mission. Nothing is going to steer me in the wrong direction. I am going to keep going with every ounce of life that's still in me to find this kid's dead body. So, Gordy starts walking off, and we get the narration from adult Gordy that he says, like, even if they hadn't have followed me, I still would have went on my own. And he's like, I don't understand why... I needed to see find this kid's dead body, but I did. I honestly believe that it's some form of closure in dealing with Denny's death. I really honestly think that this is Gordy's mission. He's on this this quest, and I just think it really what's going on with him and and Denny's death <clears throat> really just it has a lot to do with finding. Ray Brower's body. Of course, we gotta go back to Ace and his goons. They're having a chicken race or whatever it is. Of course, Ace wins because he is playing chicken against a log truck. And just in time, he's able to get ahead of his friends in the other car. 
Although, the log truck ends up spilling its load all over the street, this back road. It's not like Final Destination on the highway where a logging truck is on the road. You know, it's seriously, whenever you see, like, a logging truck that's on on the highway or you hear about something like that, you, it's like your mind is always going to go to Final Destination. Whenever, like, I would see something like that, like, on the the news Facebook page, boom, the first comment is most likely going to be like, Final Destination 2. Now, the boys are continuing to walk the tracks here in the woods. They have woods on either side of them. They're like, just, we're on the path. Just look to your left, look to your right. It's got to be somewhere around here. So Chris says, hey, you know what? I bet, you know, because we came through the woods, we saved, like, an hour. It's like, yeah, but even though when you find the body and stuff, because they don't know what they're going to do next, you still got to probably camp somewhere for the night again, right? Or are they just going to hightail it back in, like, a day, just walk through the night? Okay, the back Harlow Road is what they're actually looking for. Okay. Because we see that clearly it's a road that's been kind of closed off. It doesn't have a road close sign on it. But it does have some sawhorse type things that are blocking any vehicles from actually going down that road. So they take Harlow Road and then they start kind of looking from their left to their right. They just keep looking. We'll find his body somewhere. could breathe. Somewhere under those bushes was the rest of Ray Brower. <laughs> oh, the train had knocked Ray Brower out of his keds just like it had knocked the life out of his body. Jesus. The kid wasn't sick. The kid wasn't sleeping. Kid was dead. Let's look for some long branches. We'll build them a stretcher. So, they start walking, looking left, looking right, and, like, within a less than a minute, Vern's like, hey, I see him, I see him, and they all look down there, and you can see, you know, legs sticking out of some branches, leaves, and everything, and it's just, that realization of these kids have probably never seen a dead body before, especially someone probably close, if not a few years older than them. And everyone's kind of processing it in their own way. And adult Gordy comes on and says, the kid wasn't sleeping. You know, the kid was, he was dead. 
And I notice. What did they say? Um, hold on. I really don't want to rewind it and see that. Whenever when I saw this movie, and even years after, just seeing them, the camera, on that guy's face, and it just. It just it, it freaks me out. It spooks me, and it's just. It's the thing, like, it's an image that's burned into your mind that even when you try to close your eyes at night, that image is still popping up in your head. Which, now that I looked at it, now it's probably going to be in my head when I close my eyes tonight. But even still... So basically, the train knocked the life out of Ray Broward's body. Like, yeah, I'm guessing what happened, from what I gathered from the book... That I guess he was trying to get away, get out of the way of the oncoming train, and he just got hit and just, like, knocked his body down that hill, that embankment. So, Chris devises a plan, like, hey, let's make, get some branches, we can make him a stretcher. And I'm just thinking, I cannot see them bringing the body back with them. I really, really don't think so. And definitely it was, you know, the honorable thing is, you know, don't just leave him here. Let's take him with us. And I'm just thinking, I don't know. <laughs> so Gordy has to sit down on a log for a minute. He really, this really hit him hard, like everything with his, his brother. And just, you know, he's sitting there just asking, like, why did you have to die? And Teddy and Vern just looking at Gordy, like, what's what's up with Gordy? What's going on? And Chris is like, nothing, nothing. Just, just you guys go get some branches, and I will take care of Gordy. I'm going to play this clip now of Chris and Gordy. And Chris is going to be the one to console Gordy when he really, really needs it. Just like Gordy was there when Chris unloaded on him emotionally and just cried in front of him. So Gordy just unleashes all this pent up sadness and, and hurt at the fact that 
his brother Denny, the golden child, the one that his parents just loved, and and realizing like I'm the only one left now, and it's, it's like my dad. He keeps saying over and over, like my dad, my dad hates me, my dad hates me. He, and Chris was like, no, that's not the case. He just doesn't know you. It's like, yeah, he never took the time to get to know you because he was so obsessed with Denny's future as a football player and this boy who who could do no wrong. So Chris says, hey, look, you are going to be a real writer, a great writer one day, Gordy. And you know what? Yeah, ever get hard up for material? You can't think you've written all the books you think you could write? could even write about us guys and our journey that we took here, you know? I mean, seriously. <laughs> and, and Gordy kind of, like, shrugs it off. Kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd have to be pretty hard up, wouldn't I? Of course, this moment between friends is shattered by Ace and Eyeball and the rest of his goons discovering that Chris, Gordy, and Teddy and Vern made the discovery of the body first. And they're not too happy, which, of course, you know, Ace and them came in two vehicles, and Chris and Gordy, it took them a day and a half to walk there, basically. So I don't really like how they refer to Ace as like, oh, you wasn't planning on taking the body away from us, would you boys? And Chris... Teddy and Vern all kind of gather blocking Ray Brower's view from Ace. It's like, hey, we found him, we got dibs. I don't like how Chris refers to him like, we got dibs. I mean, it's almost like they're laying claim or ownership over Ray Brower's body. It's like, this body was once a, a, a kid. I mean, yes, now the it's just a body and an empty shell and everything, but I have a little respect. I mean, I know deep in my heart that Chris is not just, Chris doesn't mean any disrespect by it. He's just, he knows honestly that Ace and Eyeball's intentions with this body, they were probably just going to put him in the trunk of the car and drive him on back. Okay, you earned him? Really, Chris? Come on. He's like, you guys came in a car. We earned him. So right now, all we see are Ace and Eyeball, and Teddy's like, hey, there are four of us, Ace. You just make your move. He's like, oh, we will. Don't you worry. As we get a crap ton of people that are just hanging around, Billy, Charlie, and a slew of other people who don't get names because they're not important to the story. They're just, they're just bodies there to uh, fill in the scene and make the boys feel intimidated. Aside from Charlie and Billy, there are three other guys there. Good golly. So I can definitely tell that none of these guys that are brothers would basically be, what, probably Billy and Vern, I'm guessing. And I'm just saying that because they have dark hair. And then also we got Eyeball and Chris, who also are brothers, but... Don't give a shit. The older brothers do not care about their younger brothers. Like, we will beat the living shit out of you and walk away and not even blink. Vern is like, I'm out of here. See ya. Ace leaves them with two choices. You can leave quietly and we take the body. Or you can stay and we beat the shit out of you and then we take the body. So either 
you can just walk away unharmed or we'll beat you to a pulp and leave you for dead and take the body. Of course, Charlie's like, yeah, but me and Billy found him first. And Teddy's got some balls. He's like, yeah, Vern told us how you found him. Oh, Billy, I wish we'd never boosted that car. Oh, Billy, I think I just turned my fruit of balloon... Fruit of the looms into a fudge factory. Like, basically shit himself. So Ace was like, alright, Chambers, this is your last chance. What do you say? And Chris comes back with, why don't you go home and fuck your mother some more? Granted, Eyeball is just like, oh, Chris, you should not have said that. Because Ace now pulls out a knife. Points it at Chris and says, you're dead. Now, Ted is like, alright, come on, Chris, let's split, alright? He's got a knife, and Chris the whole time is saying, you're not taking him. You're not taking him. You'll have to kill me first. Ace is like, alright. And he goes, that knife is like, right on Chris's neck, right at the jugular. And all of a sudden, there's a gunshot. Remember the gun? Yeah. The gun comes into play here. not taking him. Nobody's taking him. Come on, kid. Just give me the gun before you take your foot off. Yeah. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. Kill I'll kill you, I swear to God. Come on, Lachance. Give me the gun. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Shoot us all. No ways. Just you. We're gonna get you for this. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. Oh, we will. I'm not gonna forget this if that's what you're thinking. This is big time, baby. Suck my fat one? <laughs> Whoever told you had a fat one a chance? Biggest one in four counties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ray Brower's body was found 
but neither our gang nor their gang got the credit. In the end, we decided that an anonymous phone call was the best thing to do. We headed home, and although many thoughts raced through our minds, we barely spoke. So Gordy points the gun at Ace, and Ace is really just trying to intimidate Gordy, saying, Hey, just give me the gun before you shoot your foot off. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. And Gordy, like, cocks the gun back. Uh, cocks the, um... What the hell do you call that thing? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, points it right at Ace and says, Don't move, Ace. I'll kill you, Ace. Word of God. Yeah, Ace is saying, hey, come on, Lachance, give me the gun. And then he says, you must have at least some of your brother's good sense. I would have shot him right there. Like, don't you ever fucking let me hear my brother's name on your lips ever again. So Gordy says, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Ugh, such a great line. So Ace is kind of looking at the other guys in his group, it's almost like, is he thinking like, hey, if we all just rush him, we could take him and maybe one of us will get shot? Or is he like, hey guys, maybe we should just, like, leave? <laughs> but Ace says, what are you gonna do? Shoot us all? And Gordy says, no Ace, just you. So, all Ace does is point the blade of his knife at Gordy and Kristen says, hey, we're gonna get you for this. It's like, dude, you brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> but Chris has got some balls. I mean, since Gordy's holding this gun, basically holding Ace at gunpoint and says, maybe you will and maybe you won't. And Ace says, oh, you bet you bet you. <laughs> you bet we will. <laughs> so Ace and the other guys turn to go, but Ace turns on Gordy and Chris and says, hey, we're not going to forget this if that's what you're thinking. This is big time, baby. Like, no, we're going to get you. I'd be like, you know what, Ace? If you weren't wearing that f loud Hawaiian shirt, I might be taking you seriously. But because you are, I just, I can't. I just can't take you seriously in that shirt. I mean, he's got a black tee underneath. And it's like, dude, lose the Hawaiian shirt. So Ace leaves. Chris turns back to Gordy and says, Suck my fat one? Really? Whoever told you you had a fat one, Lachance? And I love Gordy smiling and saying, Biggest one in four counties. <laughs> so now that the older guys are gone, Vern and Teddy come back, and Vern's like, Hey, are we going to take them? And Chris is like, No. Of course, Teddy's like, Yeah, but I mean, we came all this way. We were supposed to be heroes. And Chris is like, yeah, but not like this. So they decide just to put a blanket over Ray Brower and they figured an anonymous call was the best thing to do. So that way, you know, neither their gang or Ace's gang got the credit. It's like, this is just, this is bigger than all of us. And this really, trying to be heroes out of, you know, it's a... I wouldn't say profiting on this Ray Brower's death, but it's just like, it just seems wrong, you know, just to say, hey, I found him, I 
want to get my picture. You know, the kid got hit by a train and he's dead. It just, yeah, it doesn't seem right. So, so adult Gordy kind of narrates the guy's walking home, and he says, even though a million thoughts race through our minds, we barely spoke. It's like a lot of stuff has happened in this day and a half. A lot of things. And just the immensity of coming upon, you know, seeing a dead body. Like, I can imagine you probably wouldn't want to say anything because almost... I mean, they're all thinking the same thing, I'm sure, but no one needs to say anything. Okay, so they did make it a little past 5 o'clock into Castle Rock on Sunday morning, the day before Labor Day. Okay, so they didn't arrive on Labor Day, it was the day before Labor Day. I love this quote. I am going to play it too. As Gordy says, we'd only been gone two days, but somehow the town seemed different, smaller. It's like just everything they faced on their journey and everything they've gone through, it just feels like it mentally aged them. Made it back to Castle Rock a little past five o'clock on Sunday morning, the day before Labor Day. We'd only been gone two days, but somehow the town seemed different, smaller. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern, until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Rock. I'm never going to get out of this town, am I, Gory? You can do anything you want, man. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) 
me some skin. Chris did get out. He enrolled in the college courses with me, and although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. So the boys enter town. They're kind of at a crossroads. Everyone's kind of going their separate ways. Vern starts walking. He's in the middle of the street, bends down, finds a penny. Of course he finds a penny. Teddy's like, well, I better get home before my mom puts me on the ten most wanted list. But as he starts walking away, he turns back and looks at Chris. And he's like, hey, Chris, no hard feelings, right? And Chris is like, no way, man. So he starts walking off. And then Gordy and Chris start heading more into town, and adult Gordy narrates and says how, as the time went on, Chris and Gordy kind of saw less and less of Vern until eventually they just became two more faces in the halls. Like, they all kind of, eventually it's like, yeah, once you enter junior high, sometimes the friends you had in elementary school may or may not still stay your friends because you're starting to develop your own interests and finding other people that share those interests, so. But I like that Gordy and, and Chris did stay in touch for what they could, and we do hear later on that Vern got married, had four kids, he worked as a forklift operator, and then Teddy, of course, he tried his damage. You know that he wanted to get into an ar the army and everything like that. But because of his eyes and because of his ear, you know, his hearing and, and his... I didn't know how bad his eyesight was. I mean, I saw he wore glasses. People sure go the But their vision probably has to be pretty good even with glasses. So, yeah, that kept him out. He spent some time in jail. Now he's doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Gordy and Chris kind of say their farewell to each other as they're on the hill by their treehouse. And they're kind of just looking down on the town. And Chris is like, I'm never going to get out of this town, am I, Gordy? And Gordy just looks at Chris and says, dude, man, you can do anything you want to. Anything you set your mind to. And Chris does, you know. He enrolled in the college courses with Gordy. He toughed it out even though it was hard. And eventually he did become a lawyer. Sadly, he was, Chris was entering a restaurant, there were two guys there fighting, one pulled a knife, Chris tried to break it up, as he always does, with people that are fighting, he always wants to be the peacemaker. Unfortunately, he was stabbed in the throat, and he died almost instantly. Now, when I, when we, you know, went back to where... Ace was gonna stab Chris. What's that what's that term like Chekhov's gun or something? But in this case it's like Chekhov's knife, where eventually it did come back later on to um But then again, maybe I'm just reaching for something that isn't there. 
Now, adult Gordy, we see him. He's in his study, his workplace, his library at home, typing on his computer. As we see him type the words, he was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. Although I hadn't seen him in more than 10 years, I know I'll miss him forever. So Gordy's <laughs> kid comes in, kind of looks a little like Vern. It's like, hey, Dad, can we go now? They probably want to go. It's summertime. They probably want to go to the lake or wherever they go to go swimming. It's like, Dad, can we go? And he's like, oh, yeah, you ready? And he's like, yeah, we've been ready for like an hour. So, of course, he, he just kind of smirks to himself and kind of like, hmm. all right, I'll be right there. And, of course, Gordy's son's friend says, he said that half an hour ago. And, of course, Gordy's son is like, yeah, I mean, that's my dad. He gets like that when he's writing. Oh, he says, yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Which is funny. Remember when Chris and Gordy were on the tracks and Gordy's like, hey, man, am I weird? And Chris is like, yeah, sure. I mean, but, I mean, everyone's weird, right? <laughs> God, that just brings that back, kind of. So he adds here, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? That's a lot of truth spoken there. It really, really is. Also, is a, of the movie's quotes, there's a lot of memorable ones. But this one is one that probably sticks with a lot of people. Because a lot of people can relate to that. It's like, you have friends when you're 12 and maybe you stay friends with some of them. But odds are, a good percentage of that is just you guys are going to develop your own interests and you're going to move forward in life and maybe you might occasionally chat with each other. You might like find them on Facebook and say, hey, it's been 20 plus years. How you doing and this and that. But the friendships, as you get older, especially you get married and say some of your friends stay single, you start to develop friendships with maybe other people that are parents and everything like that. It just really depends. Depends on the person, depends on the friendship. I have a friend that I made when I was 12, and when we were teenagers, we did, you know, a lot of stuff. We hung out together and stuff, but then I, you know, started dating Jeremy, and I started, you know, growing up, not being so immature and everything, and I wanted to, but I mean, we still talk occasionally on Facebook and stuff like that, so it's not like I just threw our friendship away. I mean, we don't go out and hang out and stuff like that. But, like I said, friendships change over time. So, finally, Gordy shuts off his computer. And we see through the French doors that he goes out there and he takes his son and his friend swimming. And they drive off and we hear Benny King's Stand By Me. And it's just so beautiful. Then the credits, you know, everything, it fades to black. And that's the movie. I do want to read a smidgy witch from the book. There were some parts I thought, no, you can read it. Like, no, no. I, I read that book when I was, like, maybe 11 or 12. And trying to read it, like, flip through it now as a 37-year-old. It's just like, how did I manage to get through this book when I was, like, 11? Because it is hardcore some, I mean, you, I mean, I know Stephen King. I'm familiar with some of his work, and I know that the the gruesome, you know, details of things, and it's just those images that he places in your mind are burned there for all of eternity. But all right, all right. So 
basically in the book, instead of Gordy holding the gun like it was in the movie, it's actually Chris. I'm gonna read a little bit here, mainly like what happened when uh, Gordy got back, when they got back to town. The back door was locked, so I fished the spare key out from under the mat and let myself in. The kitchen was empty, silent, suicidally clean. I could hear the hum of the fluorescent bars over the sink and made over the sink made when I turned on the switch. It had been literally years since I had been up before my mother. I couldn't even remember the last time such a thing had happened. I took off my shirt and put it in a in the plastic clothes basket behind the washing machine. I got a clean rag from under the sink and sponged off with it. Face, neck, pits, belly. Then I unzipped my pants and scrubbed my crotch, my testicles in particular, until my skin hurt. It seemed I couldn't get clean enough down there, although the red wheel left by the bloodsucker was rapidly fading. Alright. Let's find out what happened when the other kids returned home from the trip. The story never did get out. Oh, I don't mean that Ray Brower's body was never found. It was, but neither our gang nor their gang got the credit. In the end, Ace must have decided that an anonymous phone call was the safest course, because that's how the location of the corpse was reported. What I meant was that none of our parents ever found out what we'd been up to that Labor Day weekend. Chris's dad was still drinking, just as Chris had said he would be. And his mom had gone off to Lewiston to stay with her sister, the way she almost always did when Mr. Chambers was on a bender. She went and left Eyeball in charge of the younger kids. Eyeball had fulfilled his responsibility by going off with Ace and his buddies, leaving 9-year-old Sheldon, 5-year-old Emery, and 2-year-old Deborah to sink or swim on their own. Good grief! How many siblings you got, Chris? At least... That's a lot of kids. Uh, Teddy's mom got worried the second night and called Vern's mom. Vern's mom, who was also never going to do the game show circuit, said we were still out in Vern's tent. What does that mean? So is she not all there too, like Vern, I guess? Uh, because she had seen a light on in there the night before. Teddy's mom said she sure hoped no one was smoking cigarettes in there, and Vern's mom said it looked like a flashlight to her. Alright. Gordy said basically just asked some vague questions. Looking mildly troubled at my evasive answer, said we'd go fishing together sometime and that was the end of it. Milo Pressman never spoke up either. Alright, let's hear about the revenge that Ace and his buddies plotted on Gordy and them. One day near the end of the month, while I was walking home from school, a black... 1940, 1952 Ford cut into the curb in front of me. There was no mistaking that car. Gangster white walls and spinner hubcaps, high-rise chrome bumpers, and loose death knob with a rose embedded. Blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Alright. Doors flew up on Ace, Merrill, and Fuzzy Bronkowitz. Don't know who that is. Cheap hood, right? Ace said, smiling his gentle smile. My mother loves a way... Okay, I don't need to... <laughs> Gross. Says my mother lives, loves the way I do it to her, right? As in, basically you told me to go home and fuck my mother some more. 
Oh, that was Chris saying that. But then again, in the book, maybe it was Gordy. So Gordy dropped his school books, uh, school books on the sidewalk and ran. But unfortunately, Ace and his friend caught Gordy before he even made it to the end of the block. Basically, yeah, um, Ace tackled him to the ground and Gordy's chin hit the cement. Like, oh! Luckily, a nice lady, Mrs. Chalmers, had come out and seen what was going on. Ace and his friend beating up on Gordy because she started screaming like, Hey, you stop that! I'll call the police! But, of course... Ace, you know, gave Gordy a black eye. He said, uh, Gordy said it was like four days before he could even see out of that eye. And also broke his nose. Oh, man. Chris got his arm broken in two places by his brother. Good grief. And his face, left his face looking like a Canadian sunrise. Oh my god. So a neighbor took Chris to the emergency room and Chris told the doctor he'd fallen down some cellar stairs. Of course, the doctor's like, right, basically disgusted with Chris. And the same thing with Gordy when he probably went to the doctor. It's like, you guys are clearly covering something up. So Vern and Teddy just drifted away. They had discovered a whole new group of contemporaries that they could lord it over. Lord, Oh, the, with their broken arms and whatnot. All of them got, most likely, a broken arm. <laughs> So yeah, basically, Teddy and Vern were still hanging out at the treehouse and bringing in little fifth grade kids and ordering them around. Chris and I began to drop by there less and less frequently, and after a while, the place was theirs by default, Teddy and Vern's. I remember going up one time in the spring of 1961 and noticing that the place smelled like a shoot-off in a haymow. I never went there again that I can recall. Teddy and Burns slowly became just two more faces in the halls or in 3.30 detention. We nodded and said hi. That was all. It happens. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. Did you ever notice that? But when I think of that dream... Th okay, I don't want to read about that. So, Vern was killed in a house fire that swept a Lewiston apartment complex... Uh, ap Apartment complex in 1966. Holy crap! I'm guessing in the movie they just wanted to give them good backstories. So if that's the case, then Vern never made it to 21. He probably never even made it to 18. Since the story says they were like 12 years old in 1959. And in the book, not in the movie, I think Teddy's got a hearing aid. Teddy ended up dying too says, Teddy went in a squalid car crash. It was 1971, I think, or maybe it was early 1972. There used to be a saying when I was growing up, if you go out alone, you're a hero. Take somebody else with you and you're dog piss. It also says, of course, Teddy tried to get into the service, but because of his hearing aid and his glasses, that he pretty much, yeah... Wasn't going to happen for him. Teddy even got held back a year for absences and tardies. And attendant, uh, the attendant flunked courses. But, of course, Teddy graduated. How the hell that happened? I don't know. Basically, yeah, Ted, Teddy was in a car full of his friends that he had made over the course of the time. After Chris and Gordy kind of dropped off that ship. Uh, there's alcohol, there was, you know, a joint being passed around, of course. So Chris enrolled in the college courses in his second year of junior high. 
course, he got, you know, ribbed about it from his parents, from the people that lived in that town, the teachers, everybody. Yeah, it also goes into the fact that, I guess, because Chris kind of screwed around for, like, seven years of his education, <laughs> Uh, the first seven years of his education, so he was getting hit hard in all the areas. Gordy would study with him for like at least six hours every every day, and it just he had to relearn fractions and algebra, algebra, and all that stuff. Oy, oy, oy. Near the end of 1971, Chris went into a Chicken Delight in Portland to get a three-piece snack bucket. Just ahead of him, two men started arguing about which one had been first in line. One of them pulled the knife. Chris, who had always been the best of us at making peace, stepped between them and was stabbed in the throat. The man with the knife had spent time in four different institutions. He had been released from Shawshank Prison only the week before. Of course, Shawshank Prison being um, the Shawshank Redemption movie. Chris died almost instantly. I read about it in the paper. Chris had been finishing his second year of graduate studies. Me? I had been married a year and a half and was teaching high school English. My wife was pregnant and I was trying to write a book. When I read the news item, student fatally stabbed in Portland restaurant, I told my wife I was going out for a milkshake. I drove out of town, parked, and cried for him. Cried for damn near half an hour, I guess. I couldn't have done that in front of my wife, much as I love her. So basically, yeah, R Gordy is a writer now. So by the time that Gordy was 26, he had sold the book he wrote, and it was made into a movie, and the movie got good reviews. And it was a smash hit besides. Wow. Good on Gordy. The second book was made into a movie as well, as was the third. So is this like a series of books, or is this just like individual standalones? Apparently they got three kids, not just one, according to the book. That's sad. Out of the four of them, Gordy is the one that was still alive. Let's find out what happened to dear old Ace. Oh my goodness. As Gordy said when he was taking his kids to see his dad, he'd seen Ace pulling out of the mill parking lot just after three, the 3 o'clock whistle. The 52 Ford had become a 77 Ford station wagon. A faded bumper sticker said Reagan slash Bush 1980. His hair was mowed into a crew cut and he'd gotten fat. The sharp, handsome features I remember were buried in an avalanche of, avalanche of flesh. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was standing on the corner of Maine and Car carbine and he recognized he glanced at me as i waited across there was no sign of recognition on the face of this 32 year old man who had broken my nose in another dimension of time wow well you know what ace just let himself go <sighs> that's on him then i hope that one of those books that gordy wrote and was turned into a movie hopefully it was the one about the four boys and their uh, adventure during the the two at, two uh, day trek out to uh, find Ray Broward. That definitely was a summer, like I said, of lost innocence, of finding themselves, just discovering about themselves and everything like that, and just drifting away from each other. I bet, I bet that was one of the books that of his that was sold and made to a movie. I really bet it was. So I'll leave you with one last bit of trivia. Uh, apparently Michael Jackson was approached to do a cover of Stand By Me. 
that would have been at the end, you know, played at the end, like the Benny King version was. And it just figured, like, yeah, let's just go with Benny King. Like, I don't know. How would that have sounded? What do you think? Do you think it would have sounded just as good with nothing against Michael Jackson? I love his music, and it's sad that it's been 10 years that he's been gone, but it's just, like, I, I, I like the original, the Benny King version. But, guys, so that's my review. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time with this movie. I'm going to go put the book not in my room, so I don't have to think about it tonight when I try to sleep. It's got, it's a mass market paperback of different seasons. It's got, um, on the cover, it's got the railroad tracks. It looks like it's, like, late November or late October, where the leaves are pretty much all gone from the trees and they're barren. And it's got, of course, Stephen King's face. He's not smiling. He just looks really creepy. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's gonna go downstairs far, far away from where I sleep. <laughs> um, like I said, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. I had a fun time covering it, you know, reliving this. I watch it every year around this time. So, yeah, this marks the 300th episode of the Looking Back on My Wonder Years podcast. Wow. 300 episodes. All right, everyone have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Bye-bye.